Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, partygoers, and welcome to another episode of the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. Hello, Mary Dedrick. Hi, Dad. <laughs> How's it going today? It's, it's, it's going... It's been better. It's, it's been better. It's been better. Everything you own is spread around the house. Yes. You had yeah. to go back to work after a week off. I did. You got some bad news today about your application for going to teaching. I don't really want to talk about it. We don't have to talk about that. Um, you, uh, yeah, you just, uh, it's been a, been a, it's been no, a day. I'm not winning right now. You're not winning right now. But no. you know what, Mary? What? You are now recording Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. Okay. That's winning. Is it? Yeah. All right. <laughs> so it's unconvinced. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also 9 p.m. when we're starting. Hey, come on. Let's what? not, let's not talk about that either. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Sleeping in the living room again tonight, so. Yes. Well, you know. Yeah. Well, your room probably smells less like, uh, less like less paint. Less like paint? Yeah. Yeah, but I still have all the painting stuff all over my bed. <laughs> okay, well, that's not so, so good. Yeah. That's hard to sleep with. Yes. Take my advice. Mm-hmm. Not that I've tried it. No. I'm just advising you to not try. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I realize. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been crazy enough to try to sleep with all, unlike you, I've never been crazy enough to try to sleep with all the things on my bed. Like right. And I'm just telling you that you shouldn't think about it. No, I, so, I wasn't. That's why I slept on the couch never. last night, and I'm doing it again tonight. I probably will until my room is... Probably until next week. Let's be real. At the, at the rate we're going. <laughs> well, that's the problem with painting. Yeah. Is that it's a process. Yeah. And all processes are slow. By yes. By the, their very nature. Yeah. You're like, oh, this will take a day. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 Mary. Yeah. No, no. I think it took me three weeks to paint the kitchen. Yeah. But I mean, that was, I redid all the cabinets, mm-hmm. like redid all the doors and stuff. Mm-hmm. But still, that's, you know, you just don't realize until you start doing a project like that, like how much. Yeah. And how you much don't crap wanna... you own. How much crap you own. And yeah. you pull out this giant pile of comic books and then you find like an entire bookshelf of books behind it that you didn't know were there. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but did you find some books that you are kind of excited that you have? Nope. Oh, really? I found a bunch of books and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I bought this John Green book, like, what, six years ago? <laughs> Maybe longer ago? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad I have Bitter Blue, the not very good prequel to that YA fantasy book that I liked. <laughs> okay. I think that was like the shelf of books where I was like, meh. <laughs> and then I put a bunch of comic books in front of it and promptly forgot that they were back there. <laughs> so, But even at all your searching through through everything, though, not just that one shelf. Right. Did you not come across any treasures that you're like, oh, I, I did, have. I did come across something that I found very surprising. Okay. Which was, um, so I found all my old notebooks from university. Oh. Uh-huh. Which I've saved. Yes. Like all of them. Of course. <laughs> of course you Because of course I'm going to need my... My my notes from my economics course that I failed. <laughs> Chris, I'm gonna need that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You might take it again. No, I failed it. <laughs> it took microeconomics. I took econ. I believe it was one o 
two yeah. at SFU. Yeah. It's a first level course. Yeah. It's a 300 person class. Okay. Um, the tutorials are like 30 person tutorials, which are big for tutorials. Uh, it's one of the hardest classes at SFU. Okay. They make it really hard because econ is a really popular um, major. Okay. And they're trying to weed out all the people because oh, they I don't see. have enough space. Yeah, yeah. Right? You can't have like, you can't have fourth year co- courses with like, you know, like a, like thousands of yeah, yeah. people yeah. enrolled in the, you just, they just don't have room and yeah. they don't have the capacity for that. Okay. So they make these first year courses really hard, but I was taking it because I wanted to do a publishing certificate. I see. And for some reason you need an economics and you need a microeconomics class for that. Stupid. I could have taken macroeconomics, but I was like, well, micro smaller, so it'll be easier. <laughs> That logic did not <laughs> not get me through the class. I did find though that in that class, I I got I thought I disagreed, I disagreed with the prof yeah. philosophically, yeah, because he said very early in the class that no one ever does anything uh, for like altruistic for truly altruistic reasons. Oh, uh, so he always felt there was a motive behind everyone's acts. Yes, he always felt that everyone did something because it would benefit them somehow. Well, I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true either. I can see most acts. Yeah. Are a lot. Yeah. But not everything. No, I think there's extreme examples of of altruism. But yeah, I think yeah. Hmm. I have this argument with a friend at work actually, which mm. is he is a big he loves Elon Musk. Okay. You know. Yeah. He's a, he's a, one of those it's bros. Unfortunate. He's an Elon Musk bro. Yeah. But he also likes he likes Bill Gates. Okay. Because Bill Gates donates like money all over the world. Yeah. And I'm like, my p- opinion about that though is it's kind of it's it's fascistic for corporations to donate money when they should be paying taxes. Mm. That then the democracy chooses how those how that money is is yeah. is given out, R- rather than one person deciding their own pet projects mm-hmm. and then using that money to further that goal. And yeah. When you look at some, you know, like. Uh, some of the actions of Bill Gates and, and some of the things he did to like stymie vaccine um, distribution and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see like where you can criticize him. Well, not just criticize him, but you can see the dangers of putting yeah. that kind of power in the hands of yes. people. You know, rather than I mean, government of course isn't the greatest answer either. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm not. It's not. I'm not. Paying I mean, the like government's most my efficient my thing, issue but. with um, that money being taxed mm-hmm. is that. The way that we tax wealthy people well, is yes. like, but that's the thing. Like when they're when they're donating that money, though, when they're giving mm-hmm. away that that charitable money, that money is coming off. They're not paying tax on that money. Yes, right. So it's a way for them to escape paying taxes. Yeah, so it's not really an altruistic act. It has a it mm-hmm. has a you know yeah, it has a, an ulterior motive. Yes, which there's is, a benefit there. Yeah, there's yeah. a benefit to them, right? Mm-hmm. So so in that sense, you know, you can say, oh, you know, he's great. He's giving uh, nets, you know, mosquito nets to Africa to mm-hmm. to prevent. Uh, the spread of, you know, sleeping sickness or malaria or whatever. But, you know, there's other things that could be done to help prevent those things, like not destabilize governments in Africa. Yeah. And And I mean, like, the other thing is, when you're, when you are donating money to organizations like that, Mm -hmm. to any organization, you kind of want to do research into it, Mm -hmm. right? Because there are a lot of charitable charitable organizations out there Mm -hmm. where a lot of the money that they get goes to the people who work there, especially the people who are like the CEO. And it's like, yes, those people should be paid for working, but they shouldn't be paid that much money. (laughs) Why is that much of their donated money going 
just like into someone else's pocket, yeah. right? Um, and then the other thing with stuff, especially with like Africa, an example is uh, remember those shoes, Toms? Yes. Where it's like every every time you buy a pair, they give a pair to a kid in Africa or whatever. I'm sure they do. That was their whole thing. Yeah. They did. Yeah. But because they did that. All these people who were making shoes in Africa, like African people who were living in Africa making shoes, were like out of business oh. because no one was buying their shoes. Yeah, yeah. So then you had all these people who were like cobblers and who used to have a stable job making and selling shoes didn't have jobs anymore oh. because of this like just sort of like kind of haphazard coming in and being like, here's some shoes. See ya. <laughs> right. Like you have to. Yeah, there's like no, there's there's yeah, yeah. A- actions like that don't exist in a vacuum. Sure. Right? Like they affect all the economics of everything around yeah. that whole that whole situation and um yeah, it's interesting. This is kind of the law of unintended consequences. Yeah, totally. And it's like or even or even like un not even unintended, just like un, like thoughtless thoughtless consequences yeah. that are, you know, that like you say, they're just throwing shoes around. They're not com- mm-hmm. coming in there and like establishing a factory where they're making yeah. palms. Or they're yeah, and they're hiring. They're hiring local people yeah. and providing like a sense of stability and wage and something rather than just like giving someone a shoe and not thinking. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, this person probably needs shoes, right? Um, yeah, and like, I mean, it, it's just it's hard though, right? It's hard. Like, you can't. You, you can't, like, as an individual, do all that research no. into those places. Yeah. And, like, you'd think Bill Gates could do that and should do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And, I mean, like, even for me, like, I used to work for – I used to work for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And we did really good work. But there was a really toxic work environment there. And because of that, I don't feel comfortable, like, financially supporting that nonprofit because I know yeah. – like wh- partially where that money is going to sure. is sure. to like a really toxic CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they're doing really good work. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, there's all these, all these different things. And like, you know, I didn't know that before I started working there, yeah. of course, or I wouldn't have, <laughs> but like in the time that I was there, I think in a one year they went through like five different executive assistants hmm. because the CEO is just so like cruel. Yeah. She's just like a really like mean person Hmm. um and it's like a organization that's supposed to empower women so it's like all right but guess guess someone got empowered yeah yeah right the empowerment went to her to her yes went to her exactly (laughs) and the people that she liked who worked there right whereas everyone else is like walking on eggshells Mm. and like there are people there who like you know like she told a bunch of the staff there that they weren't allowed to talk to anyone who left so i had friends there who won't talk to me anymore because they're afraid of losing their job. Okay. If she was to find out that they're talking to me. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, you are a counselor helping people who are trying to flee domestic violence. Yeah. And you have a boss who's telling you you can't be friends with people. Like, there are some parallels here. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just, yeah, like, all that stuff is so complicated, mm-hmm. you know? So so you found these notebooks. Oh, Yeah. And so, what what were your thoughts as you're looking through these? Well, uh, one one I found one thing in particular yeah. from one course that I took, where we had to go through and write like a journal every week. Okay. Um, and so it was very much like, sort of like it wasn't like a, 
like an essay. Mm. You know, it was just like a very like sort of personal voice. Yeah. Where you had to like respond to something that you read each week on like a personal level. And it was supposed to sort of like chart your, it was like an, is a first nation studies course. Okay. She was supposed to sort of like chart your like growth and understanding from the content from like week one to week, whatever. Yeah. Um, and one note that I saw in there was the prof. And I really liked this prof. I think I took, I took at least one other course with her. I would have taken more. Um, but, uh, just with the way that courses worked, mm. like, especially first nation studies, they didn't offer like a big variety of them in a semester. Um, or if they did, you needed like different prerequisites. Any- anyway, it's complicated. But one thing that she wrote was you have such an emotive voice. Have you considered writing for the student paper? Mm. And I was like, I do not remember that at all. Huh. But I was like, oh, that's so great. Cause I really liked her as a prof. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, that's like a really nice thing for her to say. But I had like no <laughs> no recollection of that. Huh. But that's nice, though. Yeah, it is. Huh? Did you, did you consider working writing for the school newspaper? No, I I do not remember that at all. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Huh. But I was also at the time I took that course was not in a super good place. Mm. Um, so that might have contributed to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, there you go, Mary. There we go. Forward, forward with painting. Yes. Don't give up. No, I can't. Because if you give up now, it'll look terrible. It will. I've done one coat on two walls. So, yeah. As I could try to put it all back to normal. But. It's too late now. As you painted that first that first line of paint on the wall where you like, oh, I'm really crossing the yes. the Rubicon here. Yeah. There's no going no, back from No this. going back now. Mm-hmm. I definitely did have those moments where I was like, I don't. maybe I don't even have to paint it. Maybe you can just rearrange the furniture for that. I was like, no, no, done this here, wash the walls. But I was telling some of the residents about it today. And one resident, it was a couple, um, they used to do like building management for okay. a rental. And the other wife was telling me that she used to do all the painting. Oh, I see. And she said one suite, she painted the whole thing in one day. And I was like, oh my God, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how would you do that? I guess you'd have to have fans in there and stuff like that if you're going to do more yeah. than one coat. Yeah, totally. It's like on those old uh, decorate not decorating, but like those old home renovation shows that they used to be on, like the sort of competitive ones. Like, oh yeah, where you like friend, like you know, when the show starts, they're friends. When the show ends, they're former friends. But they right. like, trade trading space. I think it was called where they like. Oh okay. You know, one set of friends goes into their house, mm-hmm. and the other set of friends goes into the other couple's house, and then yeah. Under the direction of, you know, a draconian, authoritarian, tyrant, <laughs> interior decorator, they do the exact opposite of what their friend had wanted to yes, have done. of course. And then, you know, then there's the usual tears and, and tiaras thrown. Of course. But, uh, yeah, it was just interesting to me because when I watched that show, I wouldn't say I was like an expert at home, home renovation, but I, you know, I'd painted a little bit and done that. And I would be watching it and thinking... How are they getting this done so fast? Like all this yeah. stuff is just gonna fall apart. Yeah, like, it just feels like it's just being done like the most ramshackle <laughs> way. Like they're painting must the paint must be just dripping down the walls. Yeah, or they're painting way too quickly for the mm-hmm. second coat, and now they've, it's not it's not gonna you know the coat underneath is still wet, and so it's right. all gonna, it's all it's not gonna dry properly. Yeah, start peeling away. Like it must just be a mess. Mm-hmm. I just that's all I imagine. All those houses, like a year later, like all the paint is just sort of starting to like. Pe- Come away from the wall like in Barton Fink, you know, it's just like <laughs> slowly dripping down the walls. Yeah. All right. So I believe that was wallpaper. I know it was wallpaper, Fink, but, but yeah, yeah, I just yeah, I get, I get what you mean. Yeah, I was just going for the, yeah. the visuals. There. Yes, good visuals in that movie. Oh, I watched it recently. I feel 
Last night, yesterday, I, I found a book. It was a script for Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink. Mm-hmm. And I was so tempted. I didn't buy it, but I really wish I I haven't had. seen Miller's Crossing. Oh, it's my favorite Coen Brothers Is film. Is it? Yeah, for oh. sure. Yeah. yeah, I am. Um, Even to this day, yeah. you know, with all the other films. And I, I like I like a lot of their films. Not mm-hmm. all of their films. No. But I do like a lot of their films. And, but that is still my absolute favorite. I think because it has... Um, it's based in a Dashiell Hammett book called The Glass Key. And you like Dashiell Hammett. I like Dashiell Hammett. I love hard-boiled detective stories. Mm-hmm. And that movie really d- does it really well. Yeah. And it kind of borrows elements from it. It's not totally based in it, but it kind of borrows elements and then adds its own kind of... Right. Coen... Brothers-esque, I don't know what you call it. Coeny. Coeniana? Mm-hmm. Coeniana? Yeah, whatever. That's my still my favorite film. When people tell me that they like it. Raising Arizona, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Raising, I, th- I thought Raising Arizona was okay. I'm not a big fan of their sense of humor. Yeah. Like, their well, comedy films always leave me kind of cold. I like, I love Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's okay. I like that one a lot. Yeah. But Raising Arizona, I just found it a little bit too zany. Mm. I was like, okay, I get it. It's a sen- their sense of humor is just yeah. kind of that way. I mean, the other thing is a lot of their movies I watched on my laptop in bed when I was in university, <laughs> okay. which is like not the best way yeah, yeah. to watch movies, but um, that's what I was had at the time, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I tried to watch all their movies, but I didn't, I just didn't get through them. At the time I was illegally downloading them. This was like pre... <laughs> she said well, legally downloading them, everyone. Because we had Netflix at the time, but they weren't on Netflix. Yeah. I think that they I think at that point one of their maybe two of their movies were on Netflix. I don't hmm. know what's on there now, but yeah. I think one of them was the one with George Clooney. Oh, Brother Where It though? Mm-mm. Intolerable Cruelty? Yes, that one. Okay. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. All right. He did a few for them, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Is he in um No, he's not. He's not in Hail Caesar, but uh Isn't he? Brolin, J- Josh Brolin. Oh, sort of okay. I don't think I don't think he's in that movie. Maybe might be in a smaller role. Josh Brolin, that guy who played uh, played uh, Han Solo. I don't know anyone's names anymore. <laughs> and Ray Fiennes in it. Scarlett Johansson. And that other guy. We're looking up to see if... Uh... All right. So, Mare, let's talk a little bit about the mixtape that we're going to talk about today. Or we're going to... Yeah, we're going to talk about today because... Okay. Oh, sorry. No. Yep. No, no. Continue. Okay. I was just saying okay. Okay. Now, I don't know if we made it clear when we were doing the novelty mixes... That all those novelty mixes, all three novelty mixes were made for the same uh, person, a poor suffering person who got three novelty mixes. Uh, it's a friend of mine named Mike Roth, and he was kind enough. Oh, oh you got to. Uh, okay, George Clooney's in four of their movies. Okay. They have a list of frequent collaborators okay. on like Wikipedia. Okay, let me, get, a lot let me of guess them. what movies he's Kay. been in. Uh, so we said Intolerable Cruelty. Mm-hmm. Um, he and? was also in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. And then he was in that one, read it and read, burn it and read. Or burn something? after reading. Burn after reading. Mm-hmm. And he's in one more. Yes. Is it Hail Caesar? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I couldn't think of another one other than that. Okay. Huh. Wonder, let's see who else has been a frequent collaborator. I guess uh, John Goodman would count in that yep, category. Yep, he has sure. been in seven. Whoa. Not so. the most. Steve Buscemi's also been in seven. Frances mm. McDormand has been in nine. Well, of course, she's married to one of them. So Yes, but she... Wait, when did they start? She was in the very first one, Blood Simple. Yep, she was in the first four. Blood Simple? First four. She's not in Miller's Crossing. Mm-hmm. She is? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Huh, Miller's Crossing. Oh, this is exciting for everyone. Fargo. <laughs> yep. Um, so that's three. And one more. Raising Arizona? Mm-hmm. Wow, I don't remember her in those And Barton Fink. And she's in Barton Fink. Oh, she's... That's right. She's the... The partner of of uh, William Falk, the William Faulkner-esque character mm-hmm. in the film. 
Yes. And then she was also in The Man Who Wasn't There, Burn After Reading, Hail Caesar, and, uh, oh, oh, okay. Well, Nine, it, this is the, nine includes um, their upcoming film, mm. The Tragedy of Macbeth. <laughs> and then wow. Steve Buscemi and John Goodman have been in seven. John Polito has been in five. Wow. John Turturro has been in four. Same with George Clooney. Same with Bruce Campbell. Same with Warren Keith. Same with Stephen Root. Bruce Campbell's been in four. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, wow. Hudsucker, no, Hudsucker Proxy, yeah, no, Fargo. Yeah, Hudsucker Proxy. Oh, he's in Fargo? Apparently. He must have a very small role. I don't he remember must. the movie. Um, he often plays like a role like... Like they, a cameo. They'll more. call him like a fake shemp, where they just kind of, they're like a stand-in or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, and then he's in The Lady Killers and Intolerable Cruelty. I was just reading about, I was watching a video about the making of of uh, Sam Raimi's first film, e- The Evil Dead, and they're talking there like the, a bunch of the actors just left before the filming was done because they were so they were so like exhausted and sick and tired of the the process of filming this movie because it was done in such a threadbare budget <laughs> and yeah. it was just such a grueling shoot, and so they just left, and so they had to like put the actors in like like with fake stand-ins and stuff like that. So they'd have to have them like, behind, you know, just like the hands coming from behind someone. And, and so those, those actors were called fake shemps. And in the credits for the film, there are more fake shemps than there were actual actors in the movie. They said to have so many people doing, doing these stand-in parts to fill in for the actors. Hmm. That's interesting. All right. So Mary, let's, let's talk about this uh, mixtape. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. Get one more thing to say. Okay. It's about Bruce Campbell okay. and about Fargo. Yeah. I wanted, I was like, who is he in Fargo? I've seen Fargo a few times. I don't yeah. remember him. Yeah. Okay. In the movie Fargo, yeah. there's a fake TV movie that uh, the characters watched. Okay. Um, or that like the hitmen were watching and yeah. Bruce Campbell was the star That's in the TV right. movie. I forgot about that. It's like a, it's like a science fiction film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Good old Bruce Campbell. Always up for a laugh. <laughs> He's the most... Is one of the most underappreciated actors in Hollywood, I think. Bruce Campbell? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he just never, like, got his due. He did do a TV show called The Adventures of Briscoe County, but it was sort of ahead of its time as a, as a concept. It was kind of a sci-fi Western. Oh, okay. You know, he, he's just like a kind of a, this a Western character, but then there's like this sort of on-running plot that involved this sort of science fiction sort of element. Right. Which, and it came before X-Files. It was Bris- hmm. Adventures of Briscoe County, then X-Files on a Friday night. Oh, okay. And that's how I watched them both, like in, mm-hmm. in that time in that time period. And yeah, and I really enjoyed Briscoe County. But apparently, it was super popular in the Midwest, but not popular where it counts, right? Which is on the coast. Yes. So yeah. So sorry, sorry everyone, sorry for liking that horse opera <laughs> with some science fiction elements. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Campbell was in uh, Burn Notice. Yes, he was very good in Burn Notice. And yeah. he uh, had and Sam X. Yeah, and then he had you know all the Evil Dead movies, and then the sure, Evil sure. Dead TV show. Sure, sure. And I mean, those were other... kind of those were very culty kind of. Things. Yeah, and then a couple other movies. Like, I mean, yeah, I just mean that he never really had like great overground. I mean, the closest right. would be Burn Burn Notice, yeah. But then he was he was a he was a support actor in that yes. show. He wasn't the lead, lead character. No, um, but I mean, he was a lead. He was he's great in Bubba Hotep. Yes, playing uh, elderly Elvis. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's a great movie. But yeah, it's um yeah I just feel like he's just always been on the it's partly his. Partly his fault too. I mean, he did Maniac Cop two and movies like that, which yeah. weren't really like career burn burners. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're all he could get at the time. Yeah, or and he I just mean, didn't care. Yeah, like my name is my name is Bruce. Yes, is very good. Yeah, and I think it's fictionalized. Yeah, 
but I think there's like a grain of truth to it. <laughs> so you know, I think he has a bit of that hedonistic. Well, element. I think he has a bit of that, but I think he also has a bit of the take any role yeah, yeah. that comes his way yeah. kind of thing. And yeah, like that's yeah. a thing, you yeah. know. If yeah, if you're taking sure. all these like super niche, culty, not very good movies, like all these B movies yeah. that are like going immediately, just getting like mailed straight to MST3K, <laughs> basically, <laughs> like you're not gonna yeah, yeah. really make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I think you kind of uh, spoil your brand if you do that too yeah, much and exactly. maybe, maybe he did that but anyway yeah. well anyway dad should we talk about music on this music podcast yeah let's talk about some music okay. on this music podcast <laughs> rather than movies on this not movie <laughs> podcast and so yeah i was gonna i was just gonna say like so so my friend mike sent me five cds five cdrs mm-hmm. with the instructions that he would like a particular mix which i'm not going to say because it's gonna be our final episode for that one or final two episodes okay and then and then he also said you know, but here's some extra ones that I had laying around. You can give those people if they don't have CDRs and they want they want a CDR. But I was like, no, that's not the rules, Mike. <laughs> you can't donate CDRs yes. to this whole yeah. this whole affair. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. So I made five CDs for him. Right. Three of which were the novelty mixes. Right. Because I love novelty mixes. Yep. Or not. I was talking about this with uh, a, f- a friend who listens to the show uh, yesterday, actually, and I was saying. My actual, like, my actual, like, um, whatever you call it, your mission statement when I was making those novelty mixes wasn't, these are novelty songs. It was, these are funny songs by bands that you wouldn't necessarily look for humor from. In most cases, some of them were actual yeah. novelty songs. Other ones were like, you know, like no one, no one expects the Carpenters to sing a song about going to the bathroom between right. sides. Stuff like that, right? Yeah. Like, those just amused. That, I find that fascinating. Yeah, and bands there's a difference have that too, little bit of sense of humor. Where, like, you're not going to put, like a Holy Motor Rounders song onto that. Did you? I did. You Hot did? Hot Cold Corn, yeah. Oh, right. Okay, well then never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know but I don't, really think of, I don't think of the Holy Motor Rounders as necessarily a, a, a novelty act. Well, I don't either, but I don't think that you would hear that song and be like, well, this is weird. I think you hear that song and be like, this is the Holy Motor Rounders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, right? Same with like Jeffrey Frederick. You're not like, whoa, he has a song about... <laughs> Like how he's pooping for too long and then his <laughs> legs fell asleep and then he stood up and fell and hit his head on the tub and had some like weird dreams. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, no, of course you're not. Because he also has a song about having bad poops after drinking a lot of beer. <laughs> like, it's just... a lot of poop in his songs. Yes. <laughs> um, but let's be fair. Uh-huh. One per side on the record. Right. He did break it up. Yeah, that which was which is nice smart. of him. Yeah, very smart. I always, yeah. I always break up your poops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, space mm-hmm. out your poops is a well-known yeah. well-known music motto. Well, right. You know, like when when people start in the music industry. Yeah, they always say don't have more than one song yeah. about defecation <laughs> per side right. of your album. They're like uh, you know, don't do too many covers. Mm-hmm. You know, have some original songs. Uh-huh. Have, you know, um, make sure that you get a good producer. Mhm. Space out your poops. Yes. Those are like the kind of things that your yeah. manager's going to tell you. Yeah. You know, and also save your receipts and space out your poops. Yep. So, and so then I had two more. So I had one more CD left. So I had the three novelty songs. I had the main one kind of, it was sort of based on his request. I had, I kind of went my own way with it. Right. But then I had one more CD left. Okay. And I was like, I got one more CD left. Do I want to spend a lot of time figuring out a whole bunch of songs, mm-hmm. you know, go through 21 songs. Mm-hmm. To make a CD, mm-hmm. when I've already done four of them. Uh-huh. And you're like, yes, of course, I'm going to put in all the effort for my good friend. Nope, I didn't say that at all. I oh, said, oh, okay. I said, okay, yes. you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to park the, a bunch of long songs that I wanted oh. to put on other 
CDs, but I thought they were too long for right. this thing because I felt kind of guilty if I I didn't feel guilty when I did it for Thomas Calloway. And there's not there's not against there's nothing against you, Tom, if you're still listening to the show. This is just because you sent me three CDRs. So it's like it's okay that I'm going to put one nine minute song on right. your, on your CDRs. But I, I do find that generally having a song that's too long on a like a mix yeah tends to kind of break up the flow. And it, it, yeah, and it's also going to be. If you listen to this, the mix too much, it'll be the most boring song because mm-hmm. it takes the longest to get through. Yeah. Like other songs, you can be like, "Oh, I'm so tired of this song," but at least it's only three minutes. But that one song that's like nine minutes long, every time you listen to it, ugh. Yeah, you're like, "All right, Sofiane, we get it. Song's <laughs> thirty minutes long. Skip." <laughs> so I love Impossible Soul. Me too. I heard I, that's my favorite song on that uh, CD. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. So, <laughs> Mary disagreed. So um. I just- I'm, I'm, well, no, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, it just has the most emotional impact to me. That's fair. Other songs are very, I find very uh, off-putting and sort of dis, dis, disassociated from mm. human emotions, mm-hmm. which is intentional, I think, yes. but it's not what I want for music. Right. So, yeah, so I just thought, well, that would be the easiest thing to do. Like, I'll just think of, like, you know, just songs that I was like, oh, I'd love to put that song on a mix, then be like, no, nine minutes is a bit too much time for... One song on you know, on a on a you know on like it's like a, you know it's whatever eighty minutes on a mix that's a that's a big part that's a big chunk of time yep. out of it so I didn't want to do that to people so this so Mike he got the sword in the stick here I just said you know what Mike I've already done a bunch <laughs> I'm gonna just give you one that's I still love these songs though mm-hmm. like all these songs to me are great oh yeah and when I was listening to this I was like oh man this is a great mm-hmm. mix like even though they're long I'm just loving this mm-hmm. I'm listening to it all week and really enjoying it mm-hmm. particularly the weirdest one probably. Which is really, I just love it so much. We'll have to talk about which one that is. Well, I'll get there. Because yeah. they're all weird. Is that right? Yeah. I'd say so. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I mean, you've got Stereo Lab, the yeah. beta band, yeah. the Holy Mola Rounders, sure. Sophie Stevens. Okay, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> like, it's fine. Come on. Those are all weirdo artists. Uh, if you say so. They are. I think of them, for the most part, as very normal. Mm. All right. All right. <laughs> Or should be normal. Okay. Well, speaking <laughs> of Stereo Lab, which you just did, yes. Maybe we should start with Stereo Lab. Then. Okay. So this, this is a, a long. Maybe, Dad, maybe you should maybe you should bleep out the artists that I said. No, no, it's fine because they're written down in the on the oh, notes for the show. True. So that's true. I'm just kidding. I don't care. So it was, no, never mind. What? No, never mind. Huh? You say something? Nope. Was it an insult to me? Nope. You sure? Yes, but if you'd like, I could insult you. <laughs> no, I you probably think to. of something. I don't want to. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to. All right. I just thought that's what was coming. Nope. Just kidding. You're always very kind to me, Mary. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am still your daughter. Always kind to me. <laughs> All right. So this is Stereo Lab from their fantastic fourth album, Emperor Tomato Ketchup, which we've had a song from before. So we're not going to go. We're not going to go too much in depth into this album. We've also had Stereo Lab songs before. We've also had Stereo Lab songs before, but this is a great one, everyone. If a bit long. This is Metronomic Underground, the opening track from Emperor Tomato Ketchup from 1994. Here. The we... year of my birth. That's right. That's why I'm celebrating as well. Here we go. Mm-hmm. 
And we're back. Wow, can you believe that this album is 27? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that this. Uh, anyway, this, this, uh, this song. Dear, mm? you got a long life ahead of you. Okay. Being 27 is, is, uh, is fine. Yeah, but I'm going to be 30 in three years. Isn't yeah. that weird? Yeah. Hey, how do you think I feel? And Eve's going to be 25 in two years. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. It's true. It is weird. Mm-hmm. When I to think that I once could hold your head in my hands mm-hmm. and your your butt set against the crook of my arm, and mm-hmm. I could hold this carry you around like that when you're a little baby. Mm-hmm. And now, if I tried to do that, I'd have a broken arm. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> well, what did you? I, I you love Stereo Lab, Mary. What do you I think do. of this song? I do love Stereo Lab. Stereo yeah. Lab's fantastic. Yeah. And this song is also fantastic. It's a very good song. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't like this album as much as the next album. As much as oh, no, Cobra the... phases go voltage in the Milky Night <laughs> or whatever. Cobra and group phases play voltage in the Milky Night. I, I almost, I basically had it, which for that album title is pretty good. <laughs> it is pretty good. Um, but I do like this album a lot. It's very good. And it's kind of was a change. It kind of marked a change in, in the group sounds. There is still that kind of uh, just sort of guitar, you know, kind of distorted guitar, you know, playing really fast kind of songs that, that kind of... Uh, or on their first, their first three albums, or their first two albums. The one before this one, whose name I cannot now remember, because the names of their albums are kind of strange, is very good, and it was actually the first it, album... Oh. Sorry, are you going to say it? Um, nope, I was not going to say it. Oh, okay. I don't know what it is. Uh, it was the first album that featured Sean, uh, Sean O'Hagan from oh, okay. the High Llamas, before he was in the High Llamas, before he started the High Llamas, basically, or kind of in the midst of the High Llamas. He joined Stereolab for a while. And so he joined with that album, and it kind of changed the band in a big way because he brought instrumenta- uh, orchestration with him, which the band hadn't really used before. And so that kind of changed how their sound. Yes. And then this album brought John McIntyre from the Chicago post-rock group Tortoise. Uh, hey, Dad. Yeah. This album is from 1996. Oh, it is? Uh-huh. Emperor Tomato Ketchup. Oh, I got the... the oh, maybe I guessed the... the uh, the date and I forgot to change it. <laughs> uh, but are you thinking of Mars Audiac Quintet? Yes, that is. That one came out in 1994. Yeah, okay. That's what I was thinking of when I wrote 1994. Yes. No, it's not at all. I just guessed the, the release date and I forgot to change it. Which I think I did a lot on this thingy because I was just doing real fast <laughs> these notes. Yeah, uh, yeah, that album brought Sean O'Hagan and this album brought John McIntyre. And so it, it kind of broadened the band's palette a lot. Like McIntyre comes from. Uh, like I say, post-rock, which is essentially like, um, it's a kind of a melange of different musical styles that were kind of, I think England would be less impressed with post-rock, although I think that's where the name came from, was from, a, I think it was Simon Reynolds, the critic, I think he, in Mojo Magazine or something like that, he called an album by a different group, post-rock, and that and that kind of defined this new, new uh, style, hmm. which is like a, a mix of like, crow-rock, rock, classical you know like minimal minimalist classical music mm-hmm. and uh, electronica yep. kind of all mixed together and i uh, how i kind of like describe it is it's it's minimal minimalism played in a rock context right and so wikipedia also lists one of their genres as avant pop stereo lab uh-huh yeah i can see that for sure because they definitely have like, especially French uh, yaya music is that it has definitely part in their in their sound as well mm. and then of course they're kind of uh, have a through their first couple albums, a deep debt to the Velvet Underground, which by this point they were kind of dropping that that 
as a you know as a really like wearing on their sleeve kind of a, a influence like this album like this song is incorporating loops right so they're not playing the whole song they're not right. playing that part to the whole song they're creating loops and then they're building on them you mm-hmm. know so you can hear like the repeating vocals yeah you know they sing that a few times and then it's just you know mm-hmm. looped through the rest of the song the 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 bass is looped the drums are right. looped. everything is you know built up and looped over and over again and of course as we know i love a song that, that slowly builds, builds. Yes, we so know. this we know. <laughs> <laughs> this is part of that part and parcel of that of that love and, and i think song. i think dad mm-hmm. that we're gonna see that a couple times i think you're right yeah i think you're right I was, a couple yeah, yeah. two eight <laughs> between one and eight songs might have that as <laughs> a common theme <laughs> i definitely love it as a yeah i love the climactic uh epic song for mm-hmm. sure and that's part of that to me um, what makes a net song epic is that build to a climactic uh you know huge kind of huge huge sound to the yeah song. like a i can't remember what it was, i don't know like a, a mouse wearing purple corduroy pants? Yep. That's what you were looking say. for? That was the no, I was going to say, you know when Bugs Bunny is like lifting his like arms up in the air and yeah. then he like brings his arms down but his gloves stay up there? <laughs> yeah. Like that. That's, like that part. That's what I want. Yep. Yeah, like that con- that conducting style. Yeah. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, that's good. We're one for one. You know, I haven't done for a while. I was marked. I grab a felt here. I have not marked... Your responses. Oh, okay. I'm gonna... I'd give this one a big smiley face with stars for eyes. <laughs> okay. Ooh. Drawing the stars right now. Uh-huh. And there's the smiley face. There okay, we go. Let's see. Ah, it's pretty good. All right. What do you mean pretty good? Mm, it's pretty good. The stars are a little... Yeah, I was drawing them on my leg. <laughs> right. Come on. That's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pressure there. <laughs> All right. So let's let's move on to our, our next group. Okay. Uh, so this is the Holy Motor Rounders. And this is a, a lot. That's the other thing on this. There's a couple of live songs on here, too, as well. This was a live song? Yeah, this is live. Huh. Yeah. This was recorded for a radio station in New York City called WILR. Oh, okay. I was going to say, it's really good quality. It is really good quality. Yeah, because yeah. most of the time when you hear live versions of a song, yeah. I'm like, oh, skip. Yeah. Sounds like garbage. <laughs> so this has like a, a live studio audience they're recording in front of. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a studio audience. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, that's yeah. a bit different. It's a, yeah, it's a, in, yeah. A, in a radio studio. In New York City, so let's give a listen. This is, uh, this is. It's these, like the difference between watching like, um, like a John Mulaney special on Netflix. Yeah, that's like professionally filmed, professionally produced. Yeah, and watching like a YouTube thing where someone like recorded on like their iPhone from on like iPhone. the yeah. 80th row. Yeah, and you can like kind of see him. Yeah, and you're like squinting. Yeah, it's a difference between someone something being filmed on someone's iPhone. Uh huh. And a mouse wearing purple corduroy trousers. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfect analogy. Thank you. All right. So this is Give Me Your Money. Uh, this is, comes from an album called Bird Song, which was is basically, it's just a... Album re- designed for me, because I like birds. <laughs> you like birds, and it has a song, Bird Song, on it. And it has a great cover as well, which is fe- it ha- fe- features a picture of the group uh, in a mirror being held up by a woman, which is kind of cool. It's kind of a cool cover. And you can see the photographer taking the picture beside them. That is cool. It's kind of neat. So yeah, this is uh, Give Me Your Money from, well, it's from 1971. The uh, album came out in 2004. Let's hear it right this second.
And we're back. Hey, Mare. And? And we're back. Okay, sure. Mare, what did yes. you think? Good, sorry. Well, I didn't mean to step in your line. No. Do you what is it going to say to me? Finish your question. What? Okay. Um, what did you think of? What did you think of? Give well, me Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, uh, okay, so I listened to it the first time, and I was like, meh, I don't like the saxophone, is it a saxophone? There's a saxophone in it, I don't like it, I don't like that saxophone, it's too squeaky. Yeah, yeah. It's not very melodic, it's just kind of like, squeaky, squeaky, squeak, and I'm like, all right, no thanks. So is it, Mary, was it squeaking like a mouse in purple cartilage? It was! (laughs) Look at that, wow, keep bringing it back. (laughs) Keep bringing it back to that, it's great. Um, <laughs> I thought it took too long to start. Yeah, yeah. Like, basically, by the time the song actually starts being a song, yeah. you're like, you could have played a whole entire song in that amount of time <laughs> and, like, finished it. Sure, okay. Um, uh, so I liked some of the other parts, though. Yeah. Some of the, like, the singing parts are, yeah. are okay. His, um, but then yeah. you were like, oh, and then the Holy Model Rounder song. And I was like, oh, which one's the Holy Model Rounder? And you said the second one. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and then I listened to it again, and I was like, yup, this is the Holy Model <laughs> Rounders. <laughs> I don't pick up on that. Um, but it didn't really change my enjoyment of it. Okay. I, okay, I, I feel like, okay, I like Jeffrey Frederick. Mm-hmm. I like, what's that other guy's name? Michael Hurley? Yeah, I like Michael Hurley. Mm-hmm. I want to like the Holy Model Rounders. Yeah. I like some of their stuff. I, a lot of it I find unlistenable. <laughs> um, it's just like a bit too much for me. Yeah. You yeah. know? They are the weirdest. Yeah. They are the most outre part of, yes. of that triptych. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, of course, I love them. Mm-hmm. I will admit that there are challenges. I love this song, by the way. I think it's just fantastic. I love... I love I, it. I know you do. You put it on. I the love it because they love it. Right. I love it because they're loving playing so much. You can yes. hear the joy in what they're doing. Oh, like, totally. The song really. It's fun. Yeah. Has like a you lot have of fun. a you have a good time when you're listening to it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because you kind of have to because mm-hmm. it is infectious. Yeah. Right. But. Um, and I, and I like the uh, and it's like you know it opens it's kind of starts off with kind of like a a quasi Latin sort of flavor to mm-hmm. it you know with the with with. You know, they're hitting the cowbell and someone's playing, Peter Sample's playing the claves. He doesn't really, he doesn't sing in this song, which, you know, when I was younger, that's the one problem I have with Holy Motor Rounders now. Like when I was younger, I really liked Peter Stample singing. Mm-hmm. Like I always enjoyed it. But now I find it a little caterwauling and I'm not as, yeah. as it's not as, 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 as into it as I used to be. Mm-hmm. I prefer, I do prefer like the more kind of normal or whatever tones of like Jeffrey Fredericks or, yeah. or Steve, Steve Weber or in this case, Robin Romali singing this song. Mm-hmm. The weakness in the lyrics to this song are the fact that Robin Romali does not have a voice while he's singing because he is in the, in the throes of heroin addiction. Yes, and so you his, can definitely hear that. You can hear his, yeah. his uh, hoarseness in his voice, like real hoarseness, not just, you know, normal kind of gruff singing, but... Yeah, or like, oh, like we've been singing for a long time, my voice yeah. is tired. Yeah, yeah. But just like... Yeah, just a ragged yeah. Yeah, throat. Like ripping, I've yeah. been, my body has been used in ways it wasn't supposed <laughs> to be used, kind of. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so... But what's interesting, like I say, this was a live recording done in, in 1971 for a radio station. And it's really the only existing recording of hmm. the big Holy Rom- like the big band Holy Motor Rounders right. with Peter Stamfel in it. Right. So we've got, you know, we have Steve Weber, Robin Romali, Richard Tyler, Who of Teddy course Dean. went on um, to play um, a leading role in the TV show Medium. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is his name Steve Weber in the show? No, his name isn't Steve Weber. The actor's name is Steve Weber. Oh, really? Isn't it? Or it's Jake Weber. Jake Weber, yeah, there you go. Sorry. Your joke fell apart. Your joke fell apart, Mare. 
<laughs> if I only knew the name of any actor. <laughs> I don't. So yeah, we so we have Steve Weber, Robin Romilly, mm-hmm. Richard Tyler, Teddy Dean, Dave Reich, and Roger North, who all made up the you know the West Coast Rounders and played behind and, and the Clam Tones as well, played behind Jeffrey Fredericks. But in this case, also Peter Stamfel. So that that band existed for a very short time. Ah, oh, I should have said he went on to play. Yeah. Um, Von de Clark and I Zombie. Because that guy's name is Steven Weber, that actor's name, yeah. and I was. But you know what? A if he'd said it, if he'd said it three minutes ago, it would have been hilarious. Probably now. And you would have been like, "Who?" Yeah, it would have been like Steven Weber. You know, the guy who played Vonda Clark in I Zombie, and he was in an episode of Party Down, and probably an episode of Veronica Mars. And you're like, mm. <laughs> you're like, "Okay, it's <laughs> fair." You know, frequent collaborator of Rob Thomas, who's whose filmography Se- I'm second match consuming right now. Yes. Yeah. So. So, like I say, like Peter Stanfield would leave this band pretty soon. I think he felt a little left out by... Because he is a performer. You know, he's a personality on stage. But he's not necessarily a musician. Like, you know, he could, like, play banjo pretty well. He could, like, scrape a fiddle Mm -hmm. in a really old-timey-sounding way. His voice was very old-timey-sounding. Like, his voice sounds like it could be coming, you know, echoing off from some old 78 that someone found, you know, in the back of a barn. That was recorded by some field recorder in in the in the nineteen twenties, like you know, in a in a literally in a field. His voice is just has that element to it, but it but translating that into kind of a band that was leaning more towards rock and roll and less to a folk or even you know less to like a folk idiom, which is kind of where he really kind of shone the brightest. Peter Stanfall, I think I can see why he kind of felt left out by the band. And also the band had decided by this point that they were going to move to, to Portland, Oregon. Right. Because they wanted to get Robin and Steve Weber away from heroin. Mm-hmm. And that was their plan was just to like put a continent between yes. them and their, and their, and, and their, their connections. Supplier, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it worked, you mm-hmm. know, they, they lived, I mean, Steve Weber never like stopped using drugs. Right. But he stopped Using serious, you right. know, class A drugs that yeah. would I mean, like, cause your death. You know, addiction takes more than a move. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like that's the issue. Isn't isn't that it's it's easily accessible? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's other there's other stuff there. Yeah, but yeah. Apparently, Robin Romilly became like a health nut hmm. and started like followed like this a macrobiotic diet. I'm not right. too sure what a macrobiotic diet is, but he followed it. Hmm. It seems to be like some sort of hippie-ish thing that was yeah. very popular, the uh, cutting sugars out of your diet and all that, right. that kind like of stuff. Like keto or whatever. The problem is though they drink a lot of beer. Paleo. People drink a lot of beer when they do that because they need sugar still, so they right. they get it from other sources. Yeah. I I don't have sugar, that stuff's terrible. Give me a beer, will you? Yeah. That's full of sugar. Yeah. You're just drinking bread. Like, I'm keto. You're drinking bread. Um... And one thing I'm sad about, because it was never recorded or filmed, was, you know, Sam Shepard, the actor, writer, was a member of the Holy Motor Rounders in the 60s. He played drums for the band for about four years. And he wrote a play called Operation Sidewinder, which I've read, and it's just a real, like, stone stoner classic. Like, just like a, a mess to me. But... In performances at the time, the Holy Motor Rounders were the the house band, and they would do the music. They would do musical interludes between the acts, hmm. and so I wish that that had been recorded because there are songs from there you know, that they sang at that that time that have never been recorded. Although some of them are in this on this uh, one of them, anyways, on the CD. But a lot of their stuff has never you know never been um, heard from that from that from that performance. Would have would have been nice, but you know what people didn't think about in those days? 
posterity. True. Everyone was having too much fun. Yes. Okay. Let's move on from this song. Okay. Because I think you don't like it. I didn't dislike it. I just didn't love it. Should I uh, should I draw like a flat mouthed? Mm-hmm. Flat mouthed for this one. Yes. Like that. Yep. Perfect. All right. I disagree. Mine is this. Mine has a big smile with teeth. Yep. It's losers some teeth. <laughs> <laughs> the four teeth. <laughs> oh, the six teeth there. I oh, guess yeah. I didn't really six give them middle teeth. I didn't really. Here, I'll put it there. That's better. Good. Okay. More teeth. Let's move on. So, you know, it's funny that I mentioned John McIntyre earlier because he played with Tortoise. Okay. We're going to hear Tortoise now. Oh, okay. So it's kind of parallel. Is that funny? Well, I meant, didn't mean funny like in the sense of hilarious. I meant funny and right. odd. Oh, okay. Isn't it odd? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned John McIntyre earlier, mm. and now we're going to bring him up again. Right. Because we're going to play Tortoise mm. from their 2017 album, mm-hmm. The Catastrophist. Okay. And this song is unpronounceable. It is called Just Just Sap, Just Seape, Just Sap, Just Gape, Just Can I see? Just Gape. Can I see? G E S C E A P. Oh. Geskeep. <laughs> Geskeep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I like that one. Geskeep. This is Geskeep from the 2017 album The Catastrophist. This is Tortoise, everyone. Here we go.
we're back. Mayor, what do you think of uh, Giskyap? Gis Giskyap? Giscape? Giscoop? Gis just G S C E A P. What do you think of it? Well, it means in Old English. Oh, okay. Shape, creation, or creature. Oh, interesting. Well, that kind of suits the song, actually, yes. doesn't it? From Proto-Germanic ga plus scapa. And from Proto-Indo-European skep. Hmm. Interesting. Um, oh, but the song itself? Yeah. I liked it. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm surprised, because I was thinking, oh, this is in instrumental, so Mary's probably not going to okay, so be I, too keen on this I one. I did think that it was kind of like, kind of background-y. Yeah. You know, like, I felt like it was a song that you would have sort of on in the background. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it had, like, a lot of, like, specific elements that made it super interesting. Yeah. However. Yeah. I really enjoyed it mm. throughout. Yeah. 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 I think it's very good. It is. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, yeah, I love this song, actually. So that's why I was on the, this mix. It was pretty recent to the, to the time I was making yes. it. I think, I think I finished this one in 2018. Mm. And okay. so this song came out just a year earlier. From, right. So that's, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. I think this is probably the newest song that we have on this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So, so I kind of was talking about Tortoise earlier. So basically, the band coalesced around uh, a bassist named Doug McCombs and a drummer named John Herndon. And their initial plan, they're based in Chicago, and their initial plan was to establish themselves as a freelance rhythm section in the style of Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare, who are kind of like reggae legends. These two guys who, who like, on tons of records, they're like the backbone to the album. They're the bassist and the drummer, and, and you know, they were bassist and drummer for hire. And that was their plan, but that kind of fell through. And so they found themselves joining up with another drummer named John McIntyre, who we mentioned earlier, a bassist named Bundy K. Bundy K. Brown, who would leave the band uh, soon after, because you know that was two bassists and two drummers, which is kind of a interesting but kind of limited situation. So uh, he was soon replaced by a guitar player named David Pajo, who had played in the band Slint, who definitely could be given kind of uh, given a uh, what would we give them? A laurel, a laurel wreath for, as uh, to you know, to acknowledge the fact that they were one of the kind of proto post-punk bands, mm -hmm. Slint, not post-punk, sorry, post-rock bands. Oh, okay. And so, uh, then Paho would leave in in 1998 to start a solo career, and his replacement, Jeff Parker, has been with the band ever since. So they've had you know a pretty steady, you know, since the 90s with uh, a bit a bit of band foment. They've had a pretty steady lineup throughout the years. Like I said, they're they were kind of prime developers of, of the post-rock sound in Chicago and definitely, you know, have kind of mined that, particularly to me, the minimalist element of it. Like, uh, I was watching, I was interested in seeing if there was a live version of this song, and there is. There's a recording of the band playing at Lincoln Center, and it's interesting to see the band, the stage setup, because the stage setup is two drums face-to-face -face at the front of the stage. Behind the drums are two marimbas. Hmm like on either side of the stage, so mm -hmm. sort of parallel with each other. Right. And then there's the bassist and the guitarist, and then keyboards are kind of put in, set up as well. Right. And so the drummers will often play the drums, or sometimes simultaneously, sometimes separately, sometimes the one drummer's on keyboards and the other drummer's on drums, mm -hmm. or they'll be playing the marimbas. Right. Which is like, marimbas are like the ultra classical or minim minimalist classical music instrument so it's just, it's it's so rooted in that sound that it you know you know think of someone like steve reich who is like one of the major uh minimalist composers one of the main, main developers of the minimal minimalist style 
he did do some work with electric electric guitar, but not in an ensemble, like not in a large ensemble. He would really would use classical instruments in order to create this sound. So I was gonna I'm gonna play a song by him. This is kind of a long song, everyone. It's about 15 minutes long. So if you're not into it, advance by 15 minutes, and then you'll you don't have to listen to it. But this is music for a large ensemble by Stephen Reich. Um, this is from 1980. I bought the record of this in 1984 because I had fallen in love with Philip Glass and then I discovered that Stephen Reich uh, as well. And so I just thought it was kind of interesting and would sort of parallel what Tortoise are doing on... Cause I'm not the same because they're using synthesizers and, and, and Reich at this point was not, but it's kind of interesting anyway. So let's give a listen to that song right this minute. <laughs> Thank you. 
So that was uh, Steve Reich with his on- large ensemble doing music for a large ensemble. And what's kind of interesting in that song, Mare, is the fact that there are is, there is not just one marimba player, but there's four marimba players. Hmm. There's one, sorry, two xylophone players. Okay. And one person playing the vibraphone. Okay. And there are four people playing the piano. Okay. In that song, which you can only hear it. Well, it's because really you know, subtle. Sophie and Stevens just. To you can hear a lot of person. you can hear a lot of this in Sophia and Stevens oh, totally, as well. Oh, totally, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. If I always wanted to play that for you, actually, just so you could kind of hear, let's mm-hmm. that influenced him as well. You can hear this in in the Stereo Lab. Yep, for sure. You can hear this in uh, Tortoise. So what you're saying this in... is that that is like the background for this entire mix. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big, big fan. Maybe not of, our next song. A big fan of Steven. I'm a big fan of minimalist music. Just, I discovered it when I was a teenager accidentally. I, stumbled on this documentary about Einstein on the beach mm. on PBS and fell in love with the music for it and and made a point. I, Of course, in those days, I, as a poor student, I could not afford a four-record set of Einstein on the beach. Right. So I tried to tape it off of College Radio Station when mm-hmm. they're going to play it one Sunday morning. Unfortunately, I slept in, oh. so I missed the first part of the... You? Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe. That's huh. I know, it's hard to believe. As a student, as a as a high school student, yeah, I would sleep weird. in. It's really weird. And yeah, so I slept in and I didn't I, I didn't get I missed the beginning of it, but I did record quite a bit of it onto cool. two tapes. And I would listen to it all the time. But yeah, it's very good very good stuff. Anywho. 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 Let's let's move on to our fourth song. Okay. On this mix, Mary. The other thing other kind of thing I was thinking about when I was doing this mix was I kinda wanted to have different sorts of songs. I didn't want to have like all the same music, right? Like I didn't want to have like all songs that sounded like Stereo Lab or all songs that sounded like like Tortoise or whatever, you know. So I wanted to have like different songs throughout the mix. Yeah. And so the next song is Caravan. Okay. A group I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And the have song Have we played them before? We've played a song during a prog top five. We okay. Did, we did okay. a song by Caravan. But this is my absolute favorite Caravan song. It comes from their second album, which was called If I Could Do It All Over Again, I'd Do It All Over You, which came out in 1970. And this song is a kind of a combination of more than one song. It's like a suite of songs. So it goes With My Ear to the Ground, slash You Can Make It, slash Martinian, slash Only Cox, C-O-X, Only Cox, and then the slash talking about Doctor Cox from Scrubs could be, and then reprise or reprise. I don't know how to say that word because I get it mixed up with the record company. So let's give it a listen, everyone. This is uh, Caravan from 1970. It starts off quiet, so don't turn your music up because it'll get loud too. All right, here we go. Won't you make me take me slightly 
All right. And we're back. Mare? Yes. Thoughts on uh, Caravan? Um, I liked this song. Oh, that's good. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I was like, kind of, mm, meh, until about three minutes, 50 seconds. Yeah. And yeah. then it started to pick up a bit. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah. Kind of jazzy. And, mm-hmm. hear me out. Sure. I got, sort of. Okay. Castle of Cagliostro vibes. Oh yeah, from the is from like the the musical yeah. elements. Yeah, yeah. From I wonder if they borrowed. I wonder if they're fans of this song and kind of borrowed elements for. Yeah, for the it's movie. possible. Yeah. Like the score, um, I thought it was kind of similar. Well, interesting. Yeah, yeah. maybe you really want to watch Castle of Cagliostro. <laughs> so that's a good thing. That's a good thing indeed. Yes, it's a good movie. Everyone, go watch Castle of Cagliostro. We highly recommend Support it. Support your local Ohio Miyazaki. <laughs> <laughs> your local Ohio Miyazaki. Yes. Support your local international Ohio Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this song. Can I just sorry? I'm, sorry, yeah. I'm just gonna say one quick thing about sure. Miyazaki. Okay, there was an uh, an interview that was published with him recently. Yeah, where it was like someone just like ran into him mm-hmm. and was like, "Oh, it's Hayao Miyazaki. I'm gonna interview him." And <laughs> like every single answer that Hayao Miyazaki, he was like out picking up garbage. Yeah, yeah. And like every single answer he had was like. I'm picking up garbage because it's really important to pick up garbage. <laughs> and I think that you should stop interviewing me about movies and go and pick up garbage. And it was fantastic. <laughs> it was so great. It was just like this, like most pure thing I've yeah. ever read. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and he said he was retired for, he, the, for the third time. Yeah. He said, I'm just an old man who's picking up garbage. And I was like, oh, this is so good. Wow. Wow. Way to subsume yourself, Hayao Miyazaki. So, Mary, Caravan, you couldn't say that they were, like, they didn't really have, like, commercial success. They were always kind of, like, your underdog prog band, mm-hmm. middle of the bill at the Shaftesbury Festival or at the uh, Squingemong Dunbury Festival. You know, always middle of the bill. Often playing to sleeping crowds of people hiding in their tents, you know, doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But they are a real key component of a scene called the Canterbury scene. That was sort of based around the city of Canterbury in Kent, England. When I say sort of, I mean that it kind of started there, but it it, it really had its flowering in, in London because a lot of the members came from that area. It was kind of given that 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 name. It's kind of they kind of were I would say proto progressive rock because they kind of existed before you know the pre- the prog rock scene had really had really coalesced and the music. Particularly the stuff played by like Soft Machine or or Robert Wyatt, whether he's in Matching Mole or Solo, you know, is very improvisational in nature and kind of outside of normal improv, like not like jazz improv. It was very much its own sort of thing, and it kind of drew on folk, jazz, and and psychedelia as part of its sound. And so many of the members of the different kind of very scene groups played in one played with one another in various configurations. You know, so they kind of go in and out of groups and stuff like that. It was a lot of intermarrying in in the scene, and the most kind of important group, and they really didn't like really go anywhere. But they're a group called the Wildflowers, and the reason they're important is because almost all the major people of that scene were at one point or another in the Wildflowers. So uh, it would include David Allen, mm-hmm. who would go on to form Soft Machine, and then later Gong, uh, Steve Hillage, who played with Gong and had, played, and had a solo career. Kevin Ayers, who was another founding member of Soft Machine, and he quit them. Uh, he was the second to leave after David Allen, and he started, he started a solo career. There was, of course, Robert Wyatt, who founded Soft Machine, then went on to start Matching Mole, and then had a solo career. Uh, Hugh Hopper and Mike Ratlitch, who were kind of the key parts of Soft Machine and kind of carried it 
on through into the late 70s. Dave Stewart, not Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics, but Dave Stewart who played with Egg, the, your favorite band Egg, and Hatfield in the North, as as well as other, you know, kind of popping up here and there and other other records. Right. And then the members of Caravan. So Pi Hastings, Richard Coughlin, Richard Sinclair, and his cousin Dave Sinclair all played at one time or another in the Wildflowers as hmm. well. So it was just kind of this band that everyone and their brother and their cousin played mm-hmm. in yep. this group. And like Richard Sinclair was also a member of Hatfield in the North. And he played with Robert Wyatt, and Dave Sinclair would leave Caravan to form Matching Mole with Robert Wyatt, with Robert Wyatt, and also played in 1970 on a Robert Wyatt solo album called End of an Ear. Uh, he would also join Hatfield in the North with Richard Sinclair's cousin. And then another marking of the Canterbury scene was the use of the Lowry organ, and that's the organ sound you hear in the song. You know when it starts playing in, it's just very like, and it's just kind of that kind of almost distorted sound. Right. That's because they played it. That's because the guy who started using it, which was who's Mike Ratledge from Soft Machine. Uh, when he he established the idea of playing it through a Marshall amp. Hmm. And so it's distorted by going through the amp. And the problem with that was, though, is that it would feed back if it wasn't being played. So when you're playing it, you have to keep your key- hands on the keys at all times. So you'll notice that there's never a time where someone's playing the Lowry organ, whether they're in Soft Machine or in Caravan or wherever. They never take their fingers off of the keys for a second, because if they did, you get this incredible amount of feedback right? because of the, the, the fact that it's going through an amp. So this was the band's second album. Their first was for the original label, Verve. They were on Verve Records, but Verve, they kind of closed down their, their their British arm of the company, and that left the band stranded. So they signed to Decca Records on, strangely to me, on the recommendation of a guy who worked in the art department of the record label. He recommended the group to the, to the label president. And this label president said, hey, I just heard about this band from this guy who works in the art department. We should check them out. Apparently, they're really good. Hmm. Everyone went, oh, okay, let's check them out. So they got signed, and they did two two records for, for Decca. This album, and then In the Land of the Pink and Grey, which is another great album, by the way. So the album was self-produced by the band in 1969, which, you know, comes with the usual problem of all of the members want the uh, want their want their part to be louder than the others. So that was a bit of a problem. And then the flute and sax were played by Pi Hastings' brother Jimmy, who wasn't a member of the band, but was like an auxiliary studio, studio member. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, because it's very proggy, and I thought maybe you might not like it. But I'm glad you did. And I'm going to give I'm gonna give this song a smile. Okay. I won't say stars in the eye smile. Though. Okay. Would you agree with that? Um. Or would you give a stars in the eye smile? No, no stars in the eyes. Okay. Just a smile. Yep. Smile. Okay. Can I, can I, just, um, can yeah. I just read the verbatim quote from Hayao Miyazaki? Sure, sure. Which he said a couple times. He said, I'm a t- retired old man picking up trash. Which is very good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's always retired. Yes. He'll be back again. Yeah. I remember Boulay did a uh, cartoon of how Miyazaki is a cat mm-hmm. who keeps wanting to go in, go out and go out, oh, and then yeah. come back in again. Yeah. It's a good good yeah. gag. Well, yeah. Um, but yeah, can I can I just read this interview? Sure, sure. Okay. So, question. Box office sales for Demon Slayer are approaching that of Spirited Away. What's your view on that? Miyazaki said, well, I don't think it has anything to do with me. It's better if people don't concern themselves with things like box office records and concentrate on making their workplaces harmonious instead. It's fine as long as you work hard in what you're making. The interviewer said, have you watched Demon Slayer? Miyazaki said, no, I haven't. I rarely watch other things. I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. I'm a retired old man picking up trash. The interviewer said, some fans will be upset if Spirited Away doesn't retain its historic number one spot. And Miyazaki said, that sort of thing isn't worth worrying about. There's always inflation in the world. Right now, I have to pick up trash. 
<laughs> the interviewer said, so you're currently working on how do you live? Uh, is it all going well? Miyazaki said, I'm doing it. I'm doing it while retired. You should direct any questions about that to Toho, because I don't know everything about it. I have to go around and pick up trash, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then the note at the bottom says, uh, given that he was approached uh, on the street while going about one of his daily chores, Miyazaki was surprisingly civil to the reporter who ambushed him out of the blue. However, he did make it clear that his number one priority during the discussion was keeping the streets clean. <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. Very pure. Yes. Yes. All right. Mayor, you ready for the next song? Yes. What is it? All right. So this is a television. Okay. And the song is Marquee Moon. Okay. From their album Marquee Moon mm -hmm. from 1977. So let's... Hear it, everyone. Please listen to the fantastic solo by Tom Verlaine and Richard Lloyd near the end of the song. Here we go!
here we come. Hi, Mare. Hi, Dad. What do you think of Marky Moon? I like the song. I think, once again, it's probably a song that you listened to a lot as you grew yep. up. This is the second song that I knew already on oh, this mix so okay. far. Okay, okay. Um, but I like it. I like the guitars. I like the singing. It's a fun song. It's a very... It's a great song, really. It really is. The sad part of this was I really wanted this song to go on just because it's... I just love it so much. So I, I just had to go on. It's, you know, it's, it's a nine-minute song. Is it nine minutes? or I think it's actually over ten minutes, to be honest with you. Maybe even eleven minutes. But it's a long song, anyway. I kind of... When I was putting it on, I was kind of like, mm, maybe Mike should this song... I'm not sure, but it's so great. It just has to go on anyway, because I love it so much. So I put it on, and he had heard it before. So I did kind of feel bad about that. It, you know, part of, as I said before, part of my mission statement, I've used that word, I mean, that phrase already once, but I'll use it again. My mission statement with this was to try to introduce people to maybe yeah. things they hadn't heard before. But I mean, you can't go into that with your goal, or all you're going to put on is like the most obscure. You're like, oh, these are some lost leaders that I found <laughs> um, in like a like a garbage bin behind Value Village because yeah. they were like, what even is this? Yeah. yeah. I've never heard of this before. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But you can still have, I mean, that's to me, it's part of hidden gems is you could have hidden gems that are as commercial as anything. They just, for whatever reason, did not catch on at the time or just bad planning, bad timing, bad promotion, whatever, you know, just didn't work out. But, but uh, Marky Moon was not a big seller in the United States. It was a huge seller in Great Britain, but it not, did not do, do too well in the United States. So the band was formed in New York City by Tom Verlaine, whose real name is Tom Miller. Okay. And Richard Hell, whose real name is Richard Myers. Okay. And Wouldn't they... it be funny, though, oh. if um, if he changed just his first name? Who? Which one? Richard, Richard Myers? Richard Hell. Okay. To what? Uh, well, like, if his if you were like, oh, like... Oh, this, his, oh I know, see what you, you mean. Know what I mean. Actual name, Stephen Hell. Yeah. Okay. And he was yeah. like, ah, no, I'm going to change it to Richard Hell. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. They met while attending... Sanford School in Hawkinson, Delaware, which is a co-ed pri- private school. Okay. Kind of a, I can't remember they call those, a preparatory prep school. Yep. From which they both ran away. Oh. When they were teenagers. I think they had to go back again, though. Right. Because they were teenagers. Because they, they were teenagers, yeah. But that's where they met. And then they both moved to New York separately from each other, both with the intention of becoming poets. That kind of, that makes sense. Kind of like Patti Smith, when she arrived in New York, her, her intention was to be a poet as well. Right. And I think they, that that was common for the time. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. And, but instead of being poets, they started playing together in a group called the ne- called Neon Boys. Okay. With it's a, a cool name. With a drummer named Billy Ficka uh, from 1972 to 1973. And then, I don't know if they broke up because they were still the three of them together, but they renamed themselves Television and then they recruited Richard Lloyd as a second guitarist and began playing around New York, especially in the scene growing around Hilly Crystal's famous club, CBGB's, which stood for Country, Bluegrass, and Blues. But for whatever reason... Um, I don't know, Dad. Yeah. I think on the Flophouse episode about the yeah. movie CBGB, yeah. they said it stood for Cowbutt Guybutt. It does not. It does. It stands for Country... Cowbutt Guybutt. Bluegrass. Cowbutt Guybutt. And Blues, which was what Hilly oh. Crystal wanted the club to be. Mm-hmm. But instead, mm-hmm. it became sort of sort of... A New York punk hangout, right? And a place where the Ramones played, mm-hmm. Blondie played, mm-hmm. and the t- and television played, amongst other groups, probably the Dictators and a few other groups. Cowboy guy, what? And so, uh, in fact, legendarily, television built the stage for the for CBGBs. Oh, really? Because the club needed a stage, and so they they chipped in and and built the stage. That's now that funny. is legend. I don't know if that's true, right. but I would like to think that it's true. Right. You're saying it might be apocryphal. Yeah. So the songwriting was pretty much split equally between Verlaine and Hell at this point, mm-hmm. with the occasional contribution from Lloyd. But unfortunately, while Verlaine 
Lloyd and Ficka began to rehearse and improve as players, Hell preferred his untrained approach. You know, a style that would soon become known as punk. Right. And in fact, it was Hell who originated the torn shirts held together by safety pins. Oh, okay. That was his style with the kind of and spiky hair and stuff like right. that. Which Malcolm McLaren, who managed the New York Dolls for a while, brought from New York back to England. Right. And kind of stole it wholesale from Richard Hell and started selling it in, in England. Um, so Tom Verlaine, who I think is a very serious person, some might even say like sort of overly serious person, began to resent Hell's stagecraft, which seemed to involve a lot of jumping around on stage, hmm. feeling it was upstaging his songs. And then in late 1974, an interested Island Records had the group record demos with the producer Brian Eno. But Verlaine rejected the recordings, feeling Eno's sound was too brittle and cold. Uh, now, I think Hell objected to them rejecting this. You know, he wanted to sign with a major label and get some money. Right. And Verlaine was holding out because Verlaine wanted to produce himself. And so and he didn't like the sound that Brian Eno got. So eventually Hell, uh, described as unreliable, which is often code for addict right? in, in biography speak. Yes would leave the group, forming the Heartbreakers with Johnny Thunders and Jerry Nolan of the New York Dolls, two notorious heroin addicts. So it sounds to me like someone had some issues that were outside of jumping around. Right. But I can't say that for certain. Right. But it sounds like it. But it sounds like it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So he then formed Richard Hell and the Voidoids with the guitarist Robert Quine, whose excellent first album success was undermined by Hell's uh, unreliability. Hmm. He should have um he should have listened to uh Bojack Horseman's advice. Yep. Um liquor before beer. Okay. Never do heroin. <laughs> that is good advice. It is good advice. You should have listened to that advice, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Uh so with the departure of Hell, television recruited bassist Fred Smith, who had briefly played in Blondie, uh who are as I said before, fellow CBGB's Alum. Cowbutt guy butt uh-huh. uh habitues. And so television released their first single in 1975 on their manager, Terry Ork's label, which was called Ork Records. The song was called Little Johnny Jewel, parts one and two. So it was split, split between the two sides. And this release almost resulted in the band breaking up. Well, at least Richard Lloyd leaving the band because he objected to the selection of that song, preferring something more marketable, he felt. Now, uh, apparently the band auditioned Peter Laffner, who played in Per Ubu, to replace Lloyd before Lloyd realized the ridiculousness of his position when the single was being released on a label called Orc Records. Right. So it already was unmarketable. Yes. You know, like no one's going to be like, hey, that big song from Orc Records, we got to put that on the radio. Yeah. So I think maybe he thought he realized he was being a little precious. Right. So like I was saying, Verlaine held out. So labels would approach the band mm -hmm. and he would say, can we produce ourselves? And they'd say, Nope. And he said, well, then I don't want to sign with you. Hmm. And so, like, so, um, Patty Smith, who was signed to Arista Records and was a friend of the band, she recommended them to Arista Records. Clive Davis wasn't sure if they were suitable for the relatable because they weren't very Manilow. But, you know, but he had good advice for television. He said, write a hit single. If you can't write a hit single, we will give you a hit single for you to play. You have to have hit singles. That is how you have a career. And yeah, really said, good advice. That's really great advice, Clive. Thank you for that advice from you, you old man. <laughs> I have some good advice for you. If you want to get famous, you need to get famous. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for that advice. 
but so they did they did do some um they did do some demos for Arista they were produced by Alan Lanier or Lanier who was who played in um Blue Esther Cult and was Patty Smith's boyfriend at the time hmm. didn't Richard Hell marry Patty Smith no she married uh Fred quote Sonic unquote Smith who played in oh. MC5 and in and in Sonic's Rendezvous band oh, okay who did Richard Hell marry Richard Helm briefly married uh, the rocker Lee Aaron, I think. But I don't think their marriage lasted uh, super long. I think Lee Aaron played in The Runaways. Um, he was married to Patti Smith. No. Richard Hell? You're joking. Pat- uh, Scandals Patti Smith? Is oh, Scandals Patti Smith. Okay, sorry. That's, that's a different, that's a that's different, different Patti Smith. Smith. Okay, I was oh, mixed up over okay. who's right Okay, sorry. Sorry, yeah. They were just married for two years. Yeah, I knew it was a short marriage. They, had a, they have a daughter, though. What's her name? Ruby. That's a nice name. Yeah, it's cute. So yeah, so he liked uh, Verlaine liked the liked the uh, demos that uh, Lanier produced because he thought they were very um, warm sounding, and that's what he wanted. But he still wanted to produce himself, and so in '76 the band signed with Elektra Records, who agreed to Verlaine's demands that he get to self-produce, with the proviso that he bring in an experienced engineer. And so uh, he chose Andy Johns who I believe is the brother of Glyn Johns, the famous producer, whose work on the Rolling Stones album Goat's Head Soup had really Im- impressed Verlaine. Because that's a great sounding album, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, preparing for the album, television rehearsed for four to six hours a day, six to seven days a week, mm-hmm. because they wanted to be perfect. Yes. And they were very serious, <laughs> obviously. And so, basically, Johns, because of that, Johns recorded the band live in the studio... Mm-hmm. And several of the songs on the album were one takes. Wow! And including Marky Moon was a one take performance. Wow! And, in fact, and it's a ten and a half minute long song. Yeah, and the and the drummer Billy Ficka thought it was a rehearsal take. Hmm. And so when they're over, he's like, "So that was just to test out the mics or whatever." And they're like, "Oh no, we recorded that." Yeah. And then John suggested to Verlaine that they try another take, and Verlaine said, "Forget it." <laughs> and so that was it. Yep. That was the song. So the guitar solo is a, a mixture of both Verlaine. And and Richard Lloyd, they're mm-hmm. kind of trading off with each other throughout the song. So you get kind of Verlaine's kind of rougher, more imp- improvisational guitar solo, and then um, Richard Lloyd's more uh, kind of he he could do guitar notation, so he would write out his solos, right? And so he would have them written notes to follow, and so he would, you know, his are a little more uh, considered than than Tom Verlaine's were, mm-hmm. but it really works well together as a mix of the mm-hmm. two styles, mm-hmm. and it's very. I mean, it's hard now to capture the cathartic feeling I first felt the first time I heard this song. Right. You know, how emotional the guitar solo made me feel. Hmm. Like, I can't feel that now. Right. You know, but I just remember, like, the first time I heard it, like, how how much I loved it and how it just blew me away how great it was. I remember playing it for, for Uncle Ian, and his reaction was, like, so disappointing to me. Because hmm. his reaction wasn't like, wow, that's great. His reaction was kind of like, hmm, I hear a little Roy Buchanan in there. And he'd be like, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate this song appreciate this song but now now if i was if i'd known that mike had heard this song before mm-hmm. i would have put on so f- two things first one yes this song is 10 minutes and 40 seconds i think right yep ten thirty-eight. but the original version mm-hmm. was uh, about a minute and a half shorter on the record they cut it short because they needed to cut for time on the record because oh, okay. records need to have a yes they can't be too long otherwise right. it starts to degrade the sound quality and so it fades out so this is the full ending of the song oh, that we're okay. hearing which i never heard huh. 
because I bought the record right. uh, I don't know, way back when I was a kid, oh, when of I was a teenager. And so I never, I always wanted, like, I always wondered why it was like that. And then I heard right. that they had to fade it early. And so I always wanted to hear, like, the whole song. And mm. so it wasn't until I got the CD, uh, it was put out, the CD came out. What's even more important when the CD came out is that it also had Little Johnny Jewel, okay. parts one and two, which is a song that I desperately wanted to hear <laughs> when I was growing up. And yeah. so finally the CD came out. And by the way, everyone, fuck records. Bring back the CD. And this is why. Because, did I say, anyway, I didn't mean to say the F word, sorry. You just bleep it. I probably might, or not. Uh, probably won't. The Just because, you know, what was great about CDs was it just it allowed for this kind of stuff, right? Like, yes. For us to hear things that... You're not so limited by space. Yeah, and so yeah. you could hear. I mean, It's like, oh, let's go back to like a VHS where you have to like flip it halfway through. <laughs> VHS, Wait. you don't have to flip. You think it's laser I'm thinking laser desk. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go back to a VHS where you have to like <laughs> rewind, rewind the tape, it, rewind the done. whole thing, uh. and like VHS, you don't, you can't really have like special features, no, not or anything too on there, yeah, because you just like unless there are like after the credits, you're like yeah. you have like a gag, like a um, yeah, what's it called, a blooper reel, blooper reel, whatever, yeah, you know, um, but yeah, like what, why, like I want like a commentary track, I want sure. like all those extras, you know. So I'm buying the DVD. So I'm buying buying the Blu-ray DVD combo. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, everyone, mm-hmm. is save you a life of, of, of longing. Okay. And I'm going to play Little Johnny Jewel Parts 1 and 2 now oh, for okay. you. Because, you know, if I'd known that Mike had already heard Marky Moon, I might have switched it out. Because I think this is a really cool song as well. It's maybe not as great as Marky Moon, but it has some really cool guitar stuff going on in it. So let's give a listen to Little Johnny Jewel Parts 1 and 2. And we're going to do it. We're going to play it. So we don't have to flip the uh, single over to hear the, to hear the B-side. Okay. Surface. JJ could do the floor kiss. 
So that was Little Johnny Jewel, parts one and two. A little rougher sounding than uh, Marky Moon, of course. Made on the cheap and released on a uh, private label or a small label or a record. But interesting anyway and kind of fun and lots of uh, kind of cool guitar bits there as well. But Mary, let's move on to our next song of the mix. And that is Fairport Convention from their their album. I guess it's their third album, Unhalf Bricking, which came out in 1969. And the song is A Sailor's Life. Let's give it a listen. Okay. A sailor's life It is a merry He robs young girls of their heart's delight, leaving them behind to weep and mourn. They never know when. Well, there's four and twenty All in a row My true love he
All right, and we're back. Mary, what did you think of this song? Um, I didn't like it. Oh, you didn't like the song? No. Wow. I don't like the style of music. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I really like the song. But okay. Yeah. Huh. A frowny face beside that one here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, like I don't like the singing. Some of the instruments are okay. Like Sandy Denny, you didn't like Sandy Denny singing. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Oh, I love the song. Uh, this is the highlight of the album to me. Mm. And I like the, I like this album a lot as well. I think this one I maybe my first or second favorite Furport Convention album. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, this was quite a year for them, actually, 1969. It was uh, a three-album year, which is pretty rare for a band to put out three albums sure in a is. year. And have a big cataclysm as well. So, Fairbrook Convention, we talked about them a little bit when we did Now Be Thankful, but I don't think we talked about them too much. So, I was just going to say that Fairbrook Convention were formed in 1967 in North London, uh, in the Muswell Hill area, which we've talked about last time with another band coming out of there with the tales of Flossie Fillet, the group Turquoise. We're friends of the Kinks. Uh, this is the same area, right, Muswell Hill area. That's not from New Mexico, but should be. What's that? Turquoise. Turquoise, that's right. So the group was uh, Richard Thompson, Simon Nickel, Ashley Hutchings, and after their first gig, Martin Lamble, I guess he replaced the first drummer because he saw them play live and he went up on stage and he convinced the band that he could play drums better than the person they had. And so they, they let go of that guy and they brought in Martin Lamble. So at this point in their career, they were heavily influenced by American folk rock. And singer-songwriters like Bob Dylan and, and Joni Mitchell. Um, they brought in the singer Joni Dybul, who uh, is a fabulous singer and uh, in her own right. And then uh, the band's new manager, Joe Boyd, uh, who we've talked about before because of his relationship with Nick Drake. But this was his first band that he managed, I believe, was Fairport, Fairport Convention. And he suggested that they add another male vocalist, so they brought in a singer named Ian Matthews. Now, whether Ian Matthews was also being managed by Joe Boyd, I don't know. But after their first, re- after recording their first album, the group dumped Judy Dybul in favor of the up-and-coming Sandy Denny. Huh. So Judy Dybul went on to have a career that gets kind of marked by by failure, That's unfortunately. Sad. But produced some, like, she had some interesting things going on. Like, she was performing in uh, Giles Giles and Fripp before they morphed into King Crimson. Her boyfriend at the time was Ian McDonald, who was the Mellotron and, uh, you know, the keyboard and, and uh, reeds player in the group. Okay. And so she was kind of saying with, with, in that formation, but then she broke up with Ian McDonald and left that. And then she teamed up with this guy named Jackie McCauley, who had played in the sort of second version of them. And they put together a group. Uh, a duo called Traitor Horn, and they did a fantastic album called Morning... Dang, I can't remember what the name of it is now. But it's a great, great album, uh, Traitor Horn. I advise people to, to check it out. It's just great. But anyway, so they they got rid of Jody D- Judy Dybul, and they brought in Sandy Denny, who was a kind of an up-and-coming folk singer, had you know been singing solo around the scene and really impressed the guys in, in Fairport Convention, and they said, she's better than Judy Dybul. Judy, you're out. Sandy, you're in. And so it was Kind of, it was Denny's influence in the on the band that began to draw them away from their American influences to kind of a new amalgam of British folk and psychedelic rock. Hmm. And also the band had begun to compose their own material as well. So, for instance, on the first album, there was only four original songs, one of them written by Judy Dybul, compared to the eight on the second, uh, plus two traditional songs that they did the arrangements for, traditional British songs. Mm-hmm. And now A Sailor's Life is pretty old song. It dates back to at least the 18th century, where it appeared in broadsides, like in published sheets at the time. Right. Which would publish... Uh, fo- wait, 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 can I just say, mm-hmm. a traditional British song, like what, Greensleeves? Yeah. Yeah. 
which I think, but Green Sleeves is much older than than uh, I think Green Sleeves is so old that it can be attributed to people who probably didn't write it, like oh, Henry yeah. VIII, yeah. for instance. Is uh, that someone who? Yeah, he's been attributed as the as the as the as a writer That's of that ridiculous. song. Ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It's completely ridiculous. There's a a guy who is like a folk. I don't we call him a folk archivist or a. He would go around and he would he would collect songs from people before they disappeared from the culture. An oral historian. I guess an oral historian. That's what he's called. Okay. And so he in 1899 he collected the song from a Sussex man named Henry Henry Hills. So I guess Henry Hills sang it for him and he recorded the lyrics. And so. Uh, after it was published in the Penguin Book of English Folk Songs in 1960, it appeared on an album by this guy named L.A. Lloyd, who was kind of a folk archivist singer at the time. And he did an album called A Selection from the Penguin Book of English Folk Songs. And then it appeared on Judy Collins' album A Maid of Constant Sorrow in 1961, and on the British folk singer Martin Carthy's 1966 album, which was called Martin Carthy's Second Album. So it was probably from one of these sources that Sandy Denny drew inspiration to do the song. And it was kind of part of her solo career before she joined Fairport Convention. And when she joined the group, she brought the, the song into the band. And the band on the recording were joined by a fiddler who at this time wasn't a member of the group, but he draw, he he guessed on the song, this guy named Dave Swarbrick, who actually played on the Martin Carthy version in 1966. So it's kind of interesting. Now, recording the song was a real turning point in the band's history, Mary, because... Because up to this point, they'd been really basically kind of doing American songs. They did, they did a, a song by Emmett Rhodes on their first album as well. Oh, okay. A Time Will Show the Wiser. Mm-hmm. When they did Sailor's Life, it kind of changed the way they approached their career. And they basically got rid of all the American influences and started to concentrate on on reviving like British folk music. And, and so that became really important. Now, the two albums did quite well. Unfortunately, during the recording of Unhuff Bricking, Ian Matthews left the group. He sang on one song and then he, he left, eventually forming a group called Matthews Southern Comfort. The title, Unhuff Bricking Mary, comes from a, a game they would play when they were driving in okay. their van called Ghost. Okay. Or Ghosts, which okay. apparently was a, a game invented by James Thurber and Dorothy Parker, mm-hmm. where you, you think of a word and you have to add a letter to the beginning or, or end, but you can't spell the whole word. So say the word is brick. Okay. You could get as far as B-R-C-K, but no one could say the I. So you'd have to add letters to that word in order to make it into another word. Like so, add E-A to make break? Oh, no, C-K. No, that wouldn't work. So, you'd have, so you have to add, so they added half to it. So H-A-L-F got added to it. Okay. So it's half brick. And then un got added to it, so it became un-half brick. Okay. And then... Sandy Denny, at a moment of genius, added ing to the end, right. making it unhalf bricking. Oh. And they thought it was such a great made-up word that they they titled the album that word. Gotcha. Like I said, they released a song, an album in early 1969 called "What We Did on Our Holidays," which had a French version of the Bob Dylan song "If You Have to Go, Go Now." But they did a, in a French they did a French language version of it. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, that song almost made it to the top twenty. Hmm. And then they released in the mid part of the year they released unhalf bricking. And that this album was a real, you know, I wouldn't say it's a big seller, but it was very popular on the radio and stuff like that with, you know, kind of hit people like John Peel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then they started touring, touring the album, or touring for the both the albums, but it was while returning from a gig in Birmingham that the band's van crashed on the M1 motorway, injuring many members of the band and killing the drummer, Martin Lamble, who at the time was only 19 years old. Oh, no. And, Tom- and Richard Thompson's girlfriend, Jeannie Franklin. Oh, no. The band... You know, they kind of 
thought of breaking up at that point, of course, because yeah. it was such a devastating thing to happen. But they decided to carry on. And so Joe, Joe Boyd rented them a house in Hampshire where they could recuperate and work on this idea of integrating British folk music and rock. And so at the end of 1969, they released their th- their third album of the year, Liege and Leaf, hmm. uh, as well as the single Now Be Thankful. So they were really on a roll. I was listening to an interview with Richard Thompson the other day. He was on a podcast I like. And he said that, yeah, well, I said here in my notes that because of the psychic scars of the, of the accident, the band would disintegrate over the next couple of years. Like, members would sort of disappear until yeah. until there were no... The band continued on, but with no original members left in the band. And in this interview, Richard Thompson said, you know, at that time, there was no idea of therapy. Right. There was no idea of talking out how you felt. No, or, totally. or how this impacted on you, you know, yeah. that you were in this accident. Your friend had died. I had lost an important mm-hmm. friend to me. You know, we were all injured to various degrees. We were in the hospital for a while. Yeah. We, all our equipment was destroyed. We had to, like, get new equipment. Yeah. You know, it was, it was just, like, this huge thing. Mm-hmm. And it really affected us so deeply. Yeah. That all of us, you know, carried, we just went on and made bad decisions mm-hmm. for the next while of our lives. Yeah. Because we just didn't, we had all this emotional baggage, mm-hmm. but we didn't have a way to offload it. Yeah. You know, our parents... You know, their whole stiff upper lip thing. They all went through the war. Yeah. Went through this terrible cataclysm. And none of them talked about it. They they just buried it and just lived their lives. And, and that was how we were taught to live our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, to bury it and carry on. And it's just not healthy to do no, that. No, not at all. You know, and so, you know, it, so later that year, Ashley Hutchings left to form Stale Eye Span. Mm-hmm. Sandy Denny left to form Fathering Gay. Yeah. Richard Thompson left to start a... a his own uh, started his own career. So over time, every member of the band was gone until, like I say, no no original member of the band yeah. was left in the band. Yeah. You know? And it carried on as as mm-hmm. Fairport Convention, but the original convention was gone. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Kind of sad, but yeah, interesting no, story. Yeah, no, super sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a friend, or I had a friend, um, who was in a really bad car accident. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but she ended up in a wheelchair mm. for months and her best friend who was in the car with her was in a coma for almost a year, yeah. I think, for the entire time that they were in grade 12. Wow. Um, and my friend went to therapy regularly, like even yeah. when I knew her. Yeah. And this was like, she like graduated university by the time I met her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was like, you know, quite a few years past it, but... It's a, it's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to... It's a lot of trauma. Yeah, yeah. And, like, a lot of guilt. She was the one who was driving. Uh, um, and, like, it wasn't her fault, right? It was, like, a semi hit them. Yeah. Um, but... And, like, you know, the semi was in the wrong. Yeah. But she was the one who was driving. Yeah. And she still felt yeah. like it Maybe was Maybe she her. could have avoided if she'd done this yeah, or that. Yeah, or, or, like, she'd... it was her decision to go out that night. And yeah. if she hadn't had that decision... Yeah, yeah. Then they wouldn't have ended up in that situation, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I can't even imagine like going through that without being able therapy. to talk it, talk it through. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No. no, it's not good for you. No, nope. it's not good for you. But let's go into another song, Mary. Okay, this is a happier song. Yes, this is uh, the Beta Band. The song is "She's the One," and it uh, dates from 1999. Actually, it's a little earlier. It's from ancient. 1998. 1998, but oh, uh, definitely ancient then. But let's let's give a listen to "She's the One." Here we go, everyone.
All right, and we're back. Mare? Yes. Once again. Uh-huh. As we can tell from the time this album came out, you kind of grew up listening to this record. Yes, I did. As a as a kid, this was uh, one of the one of our favorite records. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's so popular that the CD is lost. Is I have, it? I have the case, but no CD. Oh no! I noticed that the other day. Oh. <laughs> when I was looking, uh, when I was sucks. transferring uh, the beta band on into my iTunes because I've been rebuilding my iTunes. Mm-hmm. It's the project has stopped for a little while because of coloring, but uh, right. I was doing that for a while. And yeah, I opened up my three EPs CD and went, oh, the CD's gone. Oh no, man. But anyway, I do have it on a different. I have a collection of five, like a five CD collection of. Oh, that's good. A bunch of bunch of it has like a DVD yeah. in it and stuff like that. I bought used a while ago. Mm-hmm. And this really complicated plastic case, which is ridiculous. Right. But anyway, uh, so I do. I still have it, but I just don't yes. have the CD from the three EPs, which yeah. irksome, irksome. But yes. what did you think of the song? Um, I love the song. Yeah. Did you know that this album was my essay writing album? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. You just put it on and it's right away. Because mm-hmm. huh. it's like. Uh, the lyrics yeah. aren't really like they're kind of an afterthought. They're not foregrounded, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah, I just found it like very good music for writing essays mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so um, there's one problem with this mix: no CanCon. Yep. But uh, this is our our ScottCon. It's a Scottish band. Yeah. Okay. What's up? Sorry. Okay, you're okay with it being Scottish. No, I'm just I'm just thinking about your comparison. I guess Scotland is kind of like the Canada to, of... to England's America. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I guess they're they're England's hat. This is where America's hat. True. And so, but then what's Alaska? I don't know. Food for thought. America's butt. No, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense at all. Bad. How about Canada is, is like a Davy Crockett hat? Oh. And Alaska is the, the raccoon tail. Oh, okay. Or like a feather. Or a feather, sure. Yeah. It's a feather in the cap. Mm-hmm. Or it's a noodle. It's macaroni, I should say. Right. Yep. Beta Band mm-hmm. were formed in St. Andrews, which is a, a Scottish town. Okay. I assume so, since in, they're a Scottish band. They were formed in 1996 by Steve Mason yep. and his friend Gordon Anderson. Steve Mason, who you may know from uh, King Biscuit Time. Exactly. Um, so the pair were originally going to call the group the Pigeons. Good name. But they decided on the beta band instead. Also a good name. And it was while working on their first EP, which was called Champion Versions. That's where Dry the Rain comes from. Uh, the group added Robin Jones, the drummer Robin Jones, and John McLean, who is a keyboardist. John McLean? Turntablist. Also survivor of skyscraper terrorist attacks. Yes. And then a guy, a bassist named Steve Duff- Duffield. Okay. And then the group moved to London kind of pursuing a career and before the ep was released gordon anderson left the group because of problems with mental illness he started having uh schizophrenic breakdowns and steve duffield just left because he didn't wasn't feeling it i guess but it was well in there and then the band came to the attention of regal parlophone who signed them and so then they did two more eps so so champion versions was released in 1997 and in 1998, they released two more EPs. One was the Patty Patty Sound, which is where this song comes from. She's the one. Which, by the way, it was two 12-inch records that made up the EP, but it's still called an EP. Right. And then their second, their third EP was called Los Amigos del Beta Bandidas. Okay. Uh, that came out in July. So one came out in March, and the other came out in July of 1998. Oof. Prolific. Prolific to a degree. Unfortunately, the band very quickly ran aground. Oh, so but should you- we say prolic? Prolif- prolific. 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 Prolific, yes. 
Now, I want to say one thing about the beta band, which is that they are, without a doubt, uh-huh. the best band I've ever seen live. Yes. In my life. Yep. They were so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Just unbelievably great. And partly because I didn't know who they were. I didn't even know their music at that point. Right. I didn't, I didn't have their music. Mm-hmm. I had... Um, I had read about them in Mojo Magazine. I had read that they lost the Mojo Award for Best Live Band, which they were very upset about. Right. And so I thought, oh, they're a very good live act. And we had went to see a band the week... Who won? I can't remember now. I'm sorry. Mm. We had gone to, see, uh, gone to see a band the week before they came to town. I can't remember the band now. But uh, when, when we were leaving the show, someone had placed little handbills out on the tables in, the, in this club advertising the beta band were coming in next week. And right. so I said... I said, oh, the beta band are coming. We should go see that. And so I went and got tickets for them. Mm-hmm. And in those days, you had to go buy the tickets yeah. f- uh, in person right. at record stores around town. And so I did that. That's hilarious. And and so then your mom and I went. We didn't know what to expect from this group. And so they had an opening act, I think. I don't know who it was. I can't remember now. And then the beta band came out. And the stage was... They had, they had the, like, you know, all their amplifiers and stuff but they're all covered in uh, white sheets were draped over all of their gear okay and then they came out on stage and they're wearing all all of them were wearing white boiler suits or jumpsuits and they had wound fluorescent or phosphorescent i guess fluorescent yeah phosphorescent plastic tubes around themselves so that they were all kind of wrapped in these these glowing tubes and they came out on stage and they started playing and their first song they opened with was the opening track from their 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 um second album or their the real, the you know, the first album was the three EPs. The second album was the Beta Band, and the song was just great. It was so good, and 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 they were, you know, they would they would um have they would they I guess they made a lot of like home movies to make his videos and stuff like that. A lot of goof, oh, okay. goofing around videos, having some fun. Yeah, and so they just pr- projected those behind them onto a sheet while they were mm. playing, like quite large, and so that was you know something you could watch. So during this song, there was like a a film playing of them riding on a magic carpet. Hmm. Through the sky, and then one of them being carried off by a parrot, and you know, off the magic carpet and being carried away, and just all the stuff like that. It was all done very, very cheaply, very just for fun kind of stuff. Right. All, all, you know, just very simple camera tricks and stuff like that to make all, make all this look real. And it was just this fantastic, and the music was great, and the band would would you know trade instruments during songs. Okay. You know, or if there was some songs were really drum heavy, so Steve Mason would stop playing the guitar and he would play the second drum kit with in Robin Jones and he would be playing drums at the same time. Mm-hmm. And often he would use a sequencer to repeat stuff. So instance this song, She's the One, you know, he sings the She's the One for me, uh, that would just go on to repeat. Right. And it would just be repeating and he could be doing other parts of the song, you know. Or he would do that with his guitar parts. He would have them repeat through the songs and he would do other things mm-hmm. as well. Or he would just stop playing the guitar the bass player would pick up the guitar or the drummer would come out and play the guitar and someone would do, be doing another part. It was just really, it was fascinating. They were just a great band to watch. It was just fantastic. Cool. It was a great show. Do you know when you, what year you saw them? Oh, it must have been, might have been 99, 2000, somewhere around there. Because they were touring on the Beta Band album, which probably came out in 2000. Oh, okay. So I would think about that time. Yeah. They toured with Radiohead in 2001, but I think I they saw were, them, that was different. They were opening for Radiohead. They were opening for Radiohead. We did go to see that. We went and saw that at, at uh, Thunderbird Arena at UBC, at the football stadium oh, at UBC. Okay. We went and saw us. Went and saw Radiohead, and, and basically we watched the beta band open, and then we we're like, well, okay, we've seen what we wanted to see. We started leaving. Yeah. Then I was like, oh, you know, we paid to see Radiohead too. We might as well stay. So we just sat in the bleachers and watched it though, because I, I don't want to yeah. stand for Radiohead. I'm not. I did. They had just put out Kid A, and I didn't like that album very much. So I was kind of protesting it, right? In my own in my own peculiar way. 
Because it was no per- it was no OK Computer. Let's face it, folks. Right. It wasn't even any of uh, the Bens. Was it at Richards on Richards? It was on Richards. It was at Richards on Richards. Yeah. yeah. I found it. Oh really? What's so what? I don't. I can. I don't know who the opener was, but I know oh. it was 1999. Oh okay. October 24th. Wow. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. No, that was a that was a great show. Yeah. Unfortunately, the group kind of fell apart after. I think they were already starting to fall apart while they were doing the EPs, and I think Gordon Anderson quitting the group was a real downer for Steve Mason because they had done the group together. So he was kind of fighting depression during the latter half of the band's career. Mm-hmm. I think they didn't really know what they were as a band. They didn't know what their strengths were. They started thinking of themselves as like as like an electronica act, and that's not what they were. They were a right. folk act who u- who ha- used electronica as part of the soundscape of the group. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really see they didn't they didn't recognize that in themselves, and so they kind of they kind of moved away from that in their later stuff. Uh, and that's too bad. No, they were really good though, really good. Okay, I guess we're gonna head into our our final song. All right. And believe it or not, folks, we covered the entire CD in this in this one episode because there's only eight songs so it wasn't that hard to do <laughs> uh but this this is um sufian stevens and now this is not uh, an official recording of sufian stevens this is majesty snowbird which is a beautiful song that has never been released by sufian stevens in an official way this is from a bootleg that was recorded on october 13th 2006 mm-hmm. at the crystal ballroom in portland oregon and mary yes we went and saw this tour Yes, we did. We saw it at um, St. Andrews. St. Andrews. United Wesley Church. Yep. Or Wesley United Church. And you know what day we saw it? Uh, October no. 14th, 2006. So we oh, saw really? it the day after this recording was made. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? That, well, it makes sense, though, because Portland. Yeah. 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 Huh. So they drove it from Portland, did the show. And I'm then... surprised they didn't do a Seattle one in yeah. between. Yeah, they didn't, though. I guess yeah. they, were, they couldn't find a location for yeah, the... Yeah, I guess so. It's interesting, mm-hmm. anyway. So That was my, oh. I think, my third concert. Yeah. Probably your best concert. Probably. Mm. It's kind of an uncomfortable place to watch a concert. That was the it only is. problem with that and show. My, my other issue with that show is he was doing his Bird Songs tour, mm-hmm. which I didn't know any of the songs. Oh, but almost all the songs he played on that tour, we would know. What, what is it? Was it? Oh, or yeah. It was oh, okay. full of Illinois songs and oh, Seven yeah. Swan songs. Okay. Oh, yeah. It was a real greatest hits yeah. for, for us for that time period right. for us. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was looking at I, I, I lost it. I wrote the set list down when I came home. Oh, did home. you? Uh, just out, out from memory. Cause yeah, I just wanted to remember all the songs yeah. that he played. I just didn't know the name of Majesty Snowbird right. or Lord Godbird. Yeah, because he, I remember him saying Lord Godbird, and I could so I wrote that one down, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what Majesty Snowbird was called. But yeah, I just uh, mm-hmm. I thought that show was fantastic. This beautiful show. Anyway, let's listen to Majesty Snowbird, everyone. This is Sufjan Stevens. Uh, just imagine Mary, mm-hmm. Eve, mm-hmm. Lisa, and I sitting in a pew in a in a uh, downtown Vancouver Cathedral, uh-huh. and we were up on the yeah, we we're up in the the balcony, yeah, looking down because we got there, we got there at a reasonable time, but there were already people lined up, and it was a uh, yeah, we were lined up around the block already. It, yeah, it was uh, it was a uh, you know seat first come first serve in terms of seating. Mm-hmm. So let's hear the song, Majesty Snowbird.
live in your advice is all it seems to matter much to me. Call it sweet, call it something paradise.
And we're back. Mayor, mm-hmm. I'm going to preemptively put uh-huh. a frowny face beside this song. Yeah, good idea. Um, <laughs> so I love this song so much. Yeah. I love Sofia and Stevens. Yes. Uh, I thought this song was going to make me cry, but it didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Why would it make you cry? Well, I wasn't having a very, very good day. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But also, Sofia and Stevens. How's that effect on you? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Huh. And this song is so good. Yeah, it is so... So very, very, very good. I was trying to f- find out who the who the uh, musicians on the tour were with him. Hmm. I know that... Was it his friends? The Steven- Stevenson family? No, it did not. The Danielson family. The Danielson no, family. Did not tour with uh, with them. My my Brightest Diamond was the opening act for, for the show. Oh, okay. I think her name was Shara Warden, who also played in the group. Hmm. I'm pretty sure James McAllister. Was she the one? constant drummer. Was she the one who it had? There was like rumors that they were engaged. I don't know. Is that something? true? Oh, maybe. I remember that. Maybe. I remember that there was some sort of rumor that Sofia was engaged to someone. Oh, and all the girls were breaking their hearts. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I'm just trying to be like, he's not gay. <laughs> Promise. Don't don't listen to the don't listen to the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When he yeah. said "I love you," he meant it in like a platonic way. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that he was t- he was t- touring a pretty limited tour with a group that big. I mean, it had obviously it had a horn section and a string section, mm-hmm. plus a band, plus you know bass, drums, and all the rest of it. The the string and horns didn't play on every song. You know, it was, just, it was a crazy uh, tour. But I'm so glad we went. I'm yes. so glad we went and saw it. It was pretty great. We've, Me I mean, too. we've gone four other times, I guess now to see him. I think so. Or five other? No, four other times. We saw. Or it was three other times because we saw the Carrie and Lowell. Okay. We saw the Age of Odds at the Paramount. Yep. And we saw the Christmas yep. concert at the Neptune. Yep. In where we also saw the saw the uh, your friends the Flophouse. Yep. Podcast there at the, the Neptune. Same place? Neptune Theater. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Huh. So I don't think we've seen them other than those shows, right? Wait, wait, Plus St. Andrews. Let's do it again. We did. Yeah, because we we I. We did Carrie and Lowell at the Orpheum. Yep. We did the Age of Odds tour at the Paramount in Seattle. Yep. We and went, that's where we got All Delighted People as well, the EP. That's right. Yeah. Then we we saw... The we Christmas s- tour. We saw the Christmas tour at the Neptune Theater. Mm-hmm. And then the St. Astro- Andrews show yeah. here. So four times. Yeah, four times. Yeah. Not enough. No. Not enough times. No. Have you uh, have you listened to his new release, or do you know about his new release? Convocations? Yeah. It's com- in the mail for me. Oh, is it? Okay, good. Yeah, I ordered the five records set. Yeah. It's like... I couldn't find the CD version of it, so I ordered the records. Oh, I'm sorry. That sucks. I know. But I get the downloadable version, too. Right, yeah. Which is, like, helpful for your... Because, I mean, you listen to a lot of stuff on your phone, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started listening to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I can... You know, it's, it's uh, you know, kind of a continuation of, of Aporia mm-hmm. with a lot of kind of new new agey yeah. synth, synth workouts. Yes. And I, I, I knew that's what I was I getting. I think that it's, like, more melodic than... Um, oh, Aporia was? Then some of his... Well, I, I've been listening to Meditations. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know if there's, like, a specific order you're supposed to listen to them mm, in, mm. but I started with Meditations. Yeah. Because, I, I don't know, I did. <laughs> um, and, yeah. Are you enjoying it? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet, because I don't want to listen to it until the records come. That's fair. Yeah. Oh, um, but would you like to hear the set list for that concert? Sure. Um, Sister? Yeah. The Transfiguration. Great. Detroit, lift up your weary head, rebuild, restore, reconsider. Fantastic. He woke me up again. Great song. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Oh my god, it's just great every song. Seven swans. Ugh. 
I mean, it's basically just oh, uh, the greatest hits. I mean, well, I was gonna say he's, time he's basically just touring. Um, he's basically just touring Seven Swans. Yeah. At this point, That's... but then the next one is the Predatory Wasp of the Palisades is out to get us. Great. Which is his best and gayest song <laughs> until Carrie and Lowell came out. Yeah. <laughs> then they all were. Uh, yeah. John Wayne Gacy Jr. Fantastic. Uh, a good man is hard to find. Jacksonville. Yeah. Majesty yeah. Snowbird. Fantastic. That was the worst Christmas ever. Really? I don't remember doing that song there, but okay. Chicago. Great. And the dress looks nice on you. Ah, so good. They don't have... Lord Godbird. He did do Lord Godbird, though. Yeah, so they don't I, have it listed. I that, mean... That might not be... That might be, like, a list that was most commonly used for shows, but he might have he might have varied it. I wish I had mm-hmm. my list still. It might, it might be buried in all those papers that we have sitting in the bathroom there. It's possible. I probably just threw it in there. Yeah, like, it's possible they just, like, use the same one from all the other... Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what I found yeah is a review okay um by lisa williamson oh <laughs> from swank trends yes what, is, what did lisa williamson have to say about the show um she said i can't think of a better concert venue for a sophia and stevens concert than in an uh, acoustically sound church although we had tickets months in advance of the gig we were dismayed to learn that we still had to wait in line behind those without tickets and thus be lucky to scoop any potential good seats as it was a seat yourself venue my brightest diamond is already halfway through their gig by the time we settled. Uh, what a far cry from the usual bar-hopping, alcohol-infused crowd. Here we could actually absorb slash hear the music, and we didn't have to tune out the usual off-topic conversations that can simultaneously occur while straining to hear a favorite song. The concert was everything I hoped for and more. Bar none, this is the best concert I have attended. Uh, and then she's got a link to like the full thing, but it, it's not with the server. Yeah. Can't yeah. be found, so. Huh. Yeah, no, that was a that was a fun show. I forgot that uh, that was co- cohabitating with uh, Swank Trans when we went and saw that show. <laughs> Interesting. Well, there we go, Mayor. Yep. Do you have any any final thoughts about this uh, this incredibly long song set? Um, no, I don't. I do have to say that I think that this was the um, I think that this was the uh, what's the word? I don't know. You're saying it. Mix. Playlist, okay. Okay, playlist, mix, mixtape, mixtape. Yeah. What do we call these? Mixtape. Where yeah. I'd heard the most, or I had, I, I already knew the, the like the more. Okay. I knew about half. I knew half of them. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I knew four of the eight songs. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, and I think that I liked pretty much all the songs. Yeah, except for a Sailor's Life. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, because you love uh, the Sandy Denny song, uh, time. Um, Just keeps on slipping. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, what's the song? Um, you know, by Fair Park Convention, there's a song. Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. It's like a question, right? Who knows where the time goes? Yeah. You did like that, that song a lot. Yeah. Which is also Fair Park Convention. So mm-hmm. it's just sort of interesting that yeah, yeah. you like this song. Well, I, just, I don't like that style of music. Yeah. 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 That kind of like Celtic ex- inspired mm, sort okay, of yeah, like definitely. songs like a yeah. like a sea shanty sort of like. It a, is a sea shanty. That's what it's about. Yeah. It's a sailor song. Yeah, yeah. Like I just don't like that style of yeah, singing yeah. and okay. music. Whereas I love it, everyone. Yeah. Well, well, folks, thank you for listening to the show this week. As usual, we were great. Yep. And Mare. Yes. If people want to get in touch with us, mm-hmm. how would they go about it? And by the way, we have had a paucity of comments, everybody. Don't forget, this is our third to last show. Right. Of, of mixtapes. The next mixtape we do will be our final mixtape. That's where we're heading, everyone, to the end of this project. Yep. It's amazing. We've been going for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I would love to do one final comments episode. Yes. 
uh, with some top five music and your comments. So mm-hmm. please. And I'm going to do a, a top five. And Mary's, Mary's going to do a top five? A secret top five that she's, Dad doesn't know about. She's called it a secret top five. So mm-hmm. I I wouldn't even know what the songs are. I'll have to listen to them as we as we do the show. It'll be yep. kind of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Amazing. Uh, that's going to be amazing. So, so Mare. Yes. If listeners would like to write to us how would they go about it you can go to our website sneakydragon.com um on there you can comment on each episode um comments you can comment there <laughs> yeah. you can also send us an email yes uh, or no wait sorry i'm doing this why why is my brain not working for this today i don't know uh on our website sneakydragon.com yes we have a contact us page okay also and you can go there and find our website mm-hmm. no <laughs> you're already on our website <laughs> so now, Mare, if yes. people go to the website, uh-huh. will they find the show there? Yes, they will. Underneath the show, will they find a comments section mm-hmm. where they can leave comments? They will. Uh, if they wanted to contact us by email, how would they do that? They can go to our contact no, us no. section. No, no. How would they contact What is our email and address? And then they can... <laughs> what is our email address, Mare? SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. That's true. That's If you want to contact us by email, we're at SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. Do we have a Facebook page? Sneaky Dragon. Do we have a Twitter handle? Sneaky underscore Dragon. That's true. And... We That's have a it. contacts page on the on, we have a contact us page on the website I where they think can find I mentioned our that. snail mail address. Oh yeah. Well, that's what good you did a good job today, sweetie. I didn't. You did an awesome job. <laughs> Thank you for that. I started falling asleep at the end. It is eleven o'clock. Mare. Yep. Looking at the old mouse wearing purple corduroy trousers on the wall. Uh huh. Who is pointing at the clock that says eleven o'clock? Mm-hmm. I think it's time that we said farewell to everyone. But before mm-hmm. we go, okay. We're going to play one song that I could not fit onto this mix, which oh, okay. I really wanted to. And maybe I should have put it on instead of A Sailor's Life. Mary would, well, would agree with me. Uh, but we're going to listen to That's the Joint by the Funky Four Plus One. I definitely would have uh, would have <laughs> liked that song more. And that would have made it more than half the songs <laughs> you would have known. on the mix I would have known already. <laughs> that is a great song. It is a great song. So we're going to go out on that song. What do you think? How's yes, that sound? That's a good idea. Yeah. So everyone, what can we say but... That's the joint. That's the joint. If you're ready for this, say you're ready for this. If you're ready for this, say you're ready for this. Are you ready for this? We're ready for this. Are you ready for this? We're ready for this. What we just can't miss. We just can't miss. What we just can't miss. With a beat like this. It's the joint. We're gonna prove to the world that we're for real. We're gonna prove to everybody we know the real deal. We got golden voices and hearts to steal. Because the five MCs have got to be real. We wanna hear the party people yell, Sugar Hill. So what's the deal? Sugar Hill. So what's the deal? Sugar Hill. Ooh, that's the joint. What these words be said, we want y'all to hear. We're gonna make a lot of sense. We're gonna make it clear. We're gonna rock this place. We're gonna do some class. We're gonna do our best. We're gonna make it last. We got Brahms on the mic. We got rockin' in the heart.
top So I'd rather pen and paper and wrote down the rock And I thought to myself how nice it would be To be on top, making cash money To go on a tour all around the world To tell a little story to all the fly girls To sit on my throne to command my own To be number one on the microphone Just telling a tale about how I was gonna be For the funk A4 plus one MC We'll be busting in and we'll be turning it out While we locked the any beat without a doubt Just chilling hard, living in luxury you're very proud to be an MC's He's the joint I'm kicking rock girl Cause it raise a lot of hell And I like to make love To the judge of female And I'm down with the crew Come off the hill Now just walk through my door You pose on the floor First thing I touch is hips can lock And then you move right up And then you kiss your lips And then you hold on tight So I never slip And then you tongue you down Onto the ground If any love is there It will be found About the man you all can tell I rock well To the depths of hell And every time you hear my name, girl, it rings your bell. Oh, when the bell rings, it goes. Ding dong. Then I rock it in the shop until the break of dawn. Like a hot butt at all. Bag of popcorn like Rockwell. Just singing your song. And you know, he's a joint. Cause we be good sports Cause we know someday we get the big pay off And rock the house and turn, 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 turn it out Sylvia in the house and Sheila Pearl rock the house and Blondie rock the house and Master G rock the house and Big Bang rock the house and Cowboy guy what?